0: in just a few minutes here on the program. And then we're going to also talk to him about ACC basketball, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. You might have kind of missed this, but they won the ACC title, the conference tournament, when it was held back in March. And we'll get Life Fight's take on that. It's our ACC report, and it is coming our way in about 20 minutes or so. So hang on for that. Also, this hour, we've got a look at Southern culture. That's Our southern accent, that's coming your way. Hour two today. Our headlines continue as well as a southern business report. And then we're going to go to the ATL because we'll find from the ATL, Miles Moody and Rachel Pack, they are the owners of a brand new restaurant that's opened up off a peach tree called Kinship Butcher and Sundry. And that is where we'll go in the second hour as part of our southern business report. We'll also take a look at some new books out there across the southeast. Some New York Times bestsellers that you can pick up and read if you have a few moments across the Southland. And then in hour three, Art Cruise will be back on patrol with us here on the Y'all Show. We'll be cruising the South and getting his take on sports and life and more. All that coming up here on the show. If you would like to get involved with the Y'all Show, it's so easy to do that. Our number is 803-816-1170. That is a number, by the way, you can text anytime you want to. 803-816-1170 is the way to do that. And then you also can call that number, and operators are standing by. So if you've got something you need to say or whatever, we're going to be a little pressed for time. So if you're going to try to call as of right this second, just uh, give us a chance to work in some of these headlines, and we'll try to get your feedback. But certainly, text or welcome 24-7 at 803-816-1170. Well, we hope that uh, all is well with you. Of course, it's been a rough rough couple of – uh honestly, years, but let's just say months with what's been going on with the social outrage, the the racial outrage and more, and we saw that kind of come to a head on Tuesday in Minneapolis with the verdict read that uh, Derek Chauvin found guilty on all three charges and sure, every other uh, talk show, every other news outlet is all about that. I don't want to get too involved with that. We're not a show that's going to be talking about Uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota too much, but I do want to remind people that George Floyd actually was born in the South. He was a native North Carolinian born in Fayetteville, North Carolina in 1973, and then uh, when he was a youngster, he ended up, uh, his parents separated. His mother moved the children into public housing in Houston, Texas in the Third Ward there, which is a historic black neighborhood, and so he grew up in Houston, Texas. That's why you might remember when they had funerals, and I say that plural for George Floyd, that they took his body to North Carolina, then they took him to Texas, and they may have taken him somewhere else. I can't can't really remember, but that was the connection to North Carolina. He graduated from Yates High School, and then he went on to South Florida State College and also to Texas A&M University, Kingsville, and he played football. He was a tight end. And his team in high school went to the Texas State Championship. And then, as I said, he went to South Florida Community College for two years on a football scholarship and played on the basketball team there. Ended up transferring to Texas A&M University, Kingsville, which at that time I think was known as a uh, different school. It might have been West Texas A&M, something like that maybe. Um, and, and so he played a little basketball. That's why he has that famous NBA player is, it was his best friend and it's been a part of all the discussion about George Floyd through the years. But, yes, George Floyd with the connection to both North Carolina and to Texas, and that's why after the verdict read on Tuesday in Houston, his hometown, they were, I guess you could say, excited, if that's such a thing you would say, after a decision like this comes out, one person there in that area said, we feel good, we think everybody that stood with us, it's a blessed moment, yes. So people in the third ward, George Floyd's home area, there in Houston, Texas, certainly happy that this thing won't uh, went the way that they had hoped. As one person said, that they want equality, and this just gives us an opportunity. Now, to my knowledge, and I, I haven't necessarily been glued to the television watching reaction, but to my knowledge. Across the country on Tuesday night, it was a fairly peaceful evening and more celebration than uprest, uh, up an uproar over what happened with George Floyd. But I know a lot of people all over the place were prepared for the worst. And it looks like, at least as of now, we might have dodged a bullet on on what was going on in terms of looting and rioting and getting out of control more than just your so-called peaceful protest across the nation, across the Southland. So that's Positive news here to start out on a Wednesday, but of course we live in a country where you can appeal and Chauvin's defense team is likely to do that. And And you have to wonder if this case was not held in downtown Minneapolis, if their result might have been a little bit different. I, I can't imagine that the jurors could have totally tuned out all of the distractions and the national scene essentially being set up right there waiting for them to make a decision on this case. You just have to think that this was not totally a a fair trial for the defense. But, hey, that's why they have the appeals process, and we'll see where it goes. But if you're like me, yeah, this was an unfortunate scene in our nation's history, but I'm kind of tired of talking about it, aren't you? Aren't you tired of hearing about it? I mean, we have people die every day. In fact, I know this isn't in the South, but moments before the decision came out, another – person of color in Columbus, Ohio was killed by police. And, and already you have people involved with the George Floyd case, essentially talking about and possibly representing that family in that case. I'm talking about Mr. Crump, the attorney for George Floyd's family. So yeah, it's an, it's, we live in a world where people die every day and sometimes those deaths aren't exactly uh, on the up and up even if a police uh, presence is involved and so there's there's your next case that's going to get a lot of attention coming out of Columbus Ohio all right moving along I know that we warned you on Tuesday that we might have some snow scattered across some of our southern states especially Oklahoma and Arkansas well I can't give you snow totals right this moment but what I can tell you is that in the state of Oklahoma, they experienced record-shattering temperatures on Wednesday morning. Most of the state saw sub-freezing temps and thick frost, and that trend is also going to be uh, affecting, if it hasn't already, parts of Arkansas, northwest Tennessee, western Kentucky, and more. I saw the the radar showed, at least, I don't know if there was actually snow on the ground, but it looked like there could have been snowfall in northern kentucky and stretching across the ohio river into the northern folks but yeah an unexpected cool snap here for some of the part some portions of the south especially oklahoma arkansas and portions of kentucky missouri and tennessee with this cold weather coming in you didn't expect to see this two weeks after easter but that is what we have seen and certainly felt (laughs) for some of us in the southeast and in north carolina Going back to the racial unrest of the world that we live in right now did you see the story about a woman there white woman has now been charged with driving her car into a yard where three black teens were playing basketball one of them injured in this and pitt county sheriff's office said that deputies responded to a report of a child that was intentionally hit by a car in Greenville, North Carolina. And again, this woman charged with driving her car into this scene where three black teenagers were playing basketball. And the news release said that 35-year-old Dana Renee Forrest had been driving around and threatening three teens by waving a knife and cursing. The release said that the woman intentionally veered her car off the roadway and partially into the yard to strike the children. It looks like one teen had to be taken to a hospital for treatment and that Miss Forrest's car had damage to the front that was consistent with hitting a person. A sheriff spokesman said the injuries appeared to be minor. I saw that one thing came out saying that this did not appear to be a hate crime. But Forrest was charged with three counts of assault with a deadly weapon and a count of felony cocaine possession. That's not a good thing when you go out chasing kids and you end up uh, allegedly hitting one of them and you got cocaine and on your person. Not a smart thing by Dana Renee Forrest of Greenville, North Carolina. What a what a knucklehead. But we'll let the the uh the good old justice system play out for her and see what happens there. But yeah, one of those kids a mild injury it looks like and so it nothing too severe. But as I said, hate crime evidently not in play here. I'm not sure I'm not sure what's in play. In fact when cocaine's involved, you never know what's in play. All right, Norfolk, Virginia. They fired a police lieutenant there because this police police lieutenant donated to the accused vigilante Kyle Rittenhouse. That was the young man that showed up in Kenosha, Wisconsin and killed a couple of people. And I think he was 17 years old at the time. But police lieutenant William Ke- Kelly anonymously gave $25 to a fundraiser for Rittenhouse back in September using his city email address. That's pretty dumb. The donation reportedly came with a comment that read, God bless, thank you for your courage, keep your head up, you've done nothing wrong, and now he's been fired. The city manager Norfolk, Virginia, Chip Filer, on Tuesday said he'd reviewed an internal investigation of the incident and determined that Kelly violated city and departmental policies, and his, quote, egregious comments erode the trust between the Norfolk, Virginia Police Department and those they are sworn to serve. And, again, a police lieutenant there in Norfolk who's been let go. They fired him because of his $25 support and public support, I guess you could say, even though he tried to do it anonymously, of Kyle Rittenhouse there in Wisconsin. I believe Rittenhouse had come from Illinois and just crossed over the border to show his tail there in the uh, outbreak of violence that happened there couple of months ago. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey has signed a bill that allows college athletes to be paid for the use of their name, image, and likeness. Of course, this is all recent changes in the NCAA to allow for this kind of stuff. And the governor of Alabama signing this into law says that college athletes in Alabama can now receive that compensation for their name, image, and likeness, a move that's intended to align state law with expected rule changes from the NCAA. Last week, the lawmakers in Montgomery passed the bill. The sponsor of it is Kyle South, a Republican from Fayette, Alabama, said the main purpose was to make sure Alabama universities are not at a recruiting disadvantage because the state does not have such a law in place. The bill goes into effect July 1st. That is also the same date that a law approved by the Florida legislature goes into effect. But yes, college athletes getting paid. And some would say, well, they've always been paid in states like Alabama. Ew, that, too soon for that? Maybe maybe so. But yes, Alabama being proactive here to not let those darn people in Florida get uh, up their advantage in recruiting. Speaking of the SEC, scientists at Texas A&M have now identified a new variant of COVID-19. Just what we don't need to hear. This new variant is called BV-1 its Brazos Valley origin and it was discovered at the university's Global Health Research Complex in a saliva sample taken from a Texas A&M University student that was taken back in March. Texas A&M said scientists had already found one case of the variant. So yes, a new variant of the coronavirus, COVID-19, and this variant called BV1 for its Brazos Valley where the Brazos River's, you know across the Brazos at Waco, and then from Waco, that Brazos winds its way down toward College Station and Bryan, and then ultimately out into the Gulf of Mexico south of Houston, Texas. I guess it would be Brazoria, I think, is somewhere in that area is where the Brazos ends up hitting the Gulf of Mexico. But, yes, a new variant of COVID. Yikes, yikes, yikes. (laughs) ¶¶ One town Went to that station Flanked that hummingbird down I didn't even call To say goodbye
1: I couldn't stand to see That little girl Crying down Off to the city Gone
0: Good a up and going in your Wednesday. Thanks to Ricky Skaggs, country bluegrass, grand old opera star. Speaking of country music, we've got some country music news we're going to share with you next hour. It's more of an artistic country music news, and it involves a fella Kentuckian. A fella Kentuckian for Ricky Skaggs, that is. But this piece of artwork is in Middle Tennessee. We'll tell you about it in the next hour. Cliffhanger. Of course don't forget we're going to have plenty of country music coming your way on thursday our insider on music row is precious harris and she'll have her nashville music line report that's coming up on the thursday y'all show coming up in the next segment we've got acc talk courtesy of 24 7 sports's jonathan life fight now let's dive into what's going on in the world of sports on this wednesday and how about some nfl news i know this is a Team from across that Mason-Dixon line, but the Pittsburgh Steelers have tons of fans here in the Southeast and around the country, and the Steelers on Tuesday gave coach Mike Tomlin, the William & Mary alumnus, a three-year contract extension through the year 2024. Congratulations to Mike Tomlin. I'm not exactly sure why this contract extension is happening as we get almost to May, but sure enough, he's been signed, he's been their head coach for a long time, and now His contract goes through the 2024 season. Of course, the Steelers last year started out the toughest, the most exciting, then the the most flawless team going, I think, into roughly week 10 before they lost. And now the 49-year-old coach, who is 145-78-1 in his 14 years with the Steelers winning a Super Bowl along the way, has been extended there as his team captured its 7th AFC North title in 2027 20, AFC North titles but still only one Super Bowl in 14 years one Super Bowl victory and i know that has to make steeler fans wonder hey uh, are we getting the 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 kind of value that we are hoping for here because pittsburgh let's face it is one of the most popular teams in all of the NFL last year tomlin steelers went 12 and 5 And then they ended up having a a quick loss in overtime to the Cleveland Browns in that first round, and that was shocking there along the banks of the Monongahela for the Steelers to, to have that really tough postseason. But Mike Tomlin, he is back in charge, at least for a few more years, and people want to know how much pressure is truly on him with this extension taking him to 2024. Congratulations, though. You got to pay him, and they're paid him. So now 14 years as an NFL coach, that's virtually unheard of to have someone in that kind of position for that amount of time. More NFL news. This comes to us courtesy of a former Florida Gator. Jordan Reed has now retired from the NFL, and he's citing concussions as the reason he most recently played for the Washington football team and is retiring because of lingering issues from concussions suffered throughout his career. He told ESPN that he was pretty sure he was going to keep playing. He said he was feeling good about where he was at, but then he had some lingering effects and sought out professional help to get diagnosed. They told him it was not a good idea to keep playing, and he agreed with them. Reed said he visited Orlando's Plast City Center in late winter for a brain scan and said based on the results, it was recommended that he retired. He said he took him a while to make that decision. Now, a little bit more about Jordan Reed, 30 years old, born in New Britain, Connecticut, and again, a tight end for Washington, but also had played for the San Francisco 49ers. That was the team he was most recently with, technically, as far as the roster goes. Pro bowl player back in 2016. He was a pro bowler for the Washington Redskins after coming to the NFL from the Florida Gators where he played under Coach Urban Meyer and Coach Will Muschamp back from 2009 to 2012. Originally recruited as a quarterback, but did not appear in any games and ended up being redshirted as a true freshman under Urban Meyer in 2009. And then he shifted to the tight end position and finished his career at UF with 78 receptions, 938 yards, and six touchdowns and ended up foregoing his final season of college eligibility to enter the 2012 NFL Draft. Jordan Reed deciding to hang it up and leave the NFL due to concussion-related injuries. We wish that young man all the best. Now to the very fringe of the South, to the UTEP minors. And UTEP, arguably one of the worst teams in all of college athletics over the last decade or so. The football team has been atrocious, the football teams I, – I, I, no, it was New Mexico State that lost to a brand-new FCS team here in the spring. That was uh, pretty amazing to see that. But UTEP, the Miners, I know I think two years ago they didn't win a single game on the football field, and I think they only won one or two this past year. But Coach Dana Demel and former softball coach Tobin Hawk – have both received one-year show calls restrictions and the athletic department now placed on a year's probation over NCAA violations for both programs. The NCAA said the football team exceeded limits on the size of the coaching staff for two years by allowing offensive and defensive quality control coaches to provide instruction. Well, that's pretty darn stupid there. And then the other program, Coach Hawk received a four-week suspension from coaching activities and has to sit out 15% of the regular season games. Now, she was an assistant at New Mexico State. The school said she was promoted to be a paid head coaching job last summer after joining Kathy Rudolph's staff as a volunteer. Yeah, so UTEP in the headlines here for not the best of reasons. Let's go to the FCS, and we've got a defection in HBCU football. As the former head coach of the Southern University Jaguars in Baton Rouge, Dawson Odoms has now left that program to go be the head coach at Norfolk State. Dawson Odoms, and I know his team, they looked mighty good a couple of weeks ago when he was coaching Southern. They really got a good win against Deion Sanders' Jackson State Tigers, but he's been selected as the new football coach at Norfolk State. And he goes back to the MEAC. That is a conference that he's familiar with as he ended up playing his own college football at MEAC member, North Carolina Central. He's a native of Shelby, North Carolina, and has been coaching for nearly two ge- two decades in the biz. So he goes and coaches now Norfolk States. And MEAC, the MEAC, by the way, if you keep up with small college football, has had a real rough go of it lately. They've lost – North Carolina A and and Florida A and M and they lost Bethune Cookman to or two of those two two of those programs the ones in Florida are leaving that conference Miac for the SWAC and so this coach now in late April deciding to switch from one program to another Dawson Odom's new head football coach at Norfolk State college basketball. And Kentucky Wildcats senior forward Olivier Saar has declared for the NBA draft. Now, he is a native of France, and he transferred into Lexington from Wake Forest and averaged 10.8 points and 5.2 rebounds for the Big Blue Nation, shooting 47% and had 12 three-pointers along the way for Coach Cal at UK. But he's going to graduate with a communications degree in May. And now we'll be going to the NBA draft alongside fellow Wildcats Brandon Boston Jr., Terrence Clark, and Isaiah Jackson. So he has left open the option of returning to school if he chooses to back out of his NBA plan. But yes, looks like Kentucky, another departure for Coach Cal and UK with Olivier Saar NBA bound. And lastly, in our sports headlines today, the PGA Tour put a Uh, put in place this year a $40 million bonus plan. Now, the rich just keep getting richer, it appears, in all of sports, but even in golf. And this new bonus plan, 40 million big ones, by the way, will pay the top 10 players in PGA Tour golf based on how much they, quote, move the needle rather than the performance on the course. So according to the article out about this, players such as Tiger Woods, Ricky Fowler, Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, and Jordan Spieth could benefit more from this move-the-needle plan. And some of these guys are true winners, and some of them are not winners. I like Ricky Fowler. He's really kind of a cool guy, has a different style. But Ricky Fowler is not a winner. Ricky Fowler, in my opinion, is barely hanging on the PGA Tour. I mean, he hasn't really won since I think he won the event at Sawgrass, the one in Jacksonville TPC. He won that a few years ago. He's never won a major and he's, I mean, I, I mean, Ricky Fowler is a popular guy. Everybody likes him, but he's, he, he might be one of the 10 most popular, but he's not a champion. Jordan Spieth was also in the uh, hinterlands of golf. He was definitely somewhere back there on the back nine and forgotten about. And, uh, and, and, and luckily for Jordan Spieth, he's come around here recently and won and did pretty well at Augusta and, and and appears to maybe have his stroke back. But, yeah, the rich just keep getting richer, it appears, in all sports. But right now, even the PGA Tour guys getting in on this and we'll find out at how well received this goes by the golf lovers, of which I consider myself a big fan of golf and I I don't know if this is fair I don't know if this is fair But life's not fair That's at least what I've been told You know what's also fair? This one really is fair We give all of our southern college teams Affection and love here on the Y'all Show And that includes the member institutions Of the Atlantic Coast Conference And we're going to come right back after this break And talk to a guy that knows a whole lot About ACC football, baseball, basketball And more, Jonathan Leifheit he is an ACC insider with 24-7 Sports, and he's on next to talk about the Atlantic Coast Conference. How about them Clemson Tigers? How about them Florida State Seminoles and the, the Hurricanes, the U, and, of course, the Virginia schools and all those on Tobacco Road? We'll have that info coming from and, Jonathan Jonathan Leifite right after this. What is the good word? Well, it's to hell with Georgia, of course. We are the Y'all Show, and we are up and going now with an Atlantic Coast Conference report, courtesy of 24-7 Sports' Jonathan Leifite. And we're going to talk about what's going on in ACC sports, from the U to Virginia Tech and, of course, all the Tobacco Road Schools. And more, and if you've got something ACC-related that you want to ask Jonathan Lifite, feel free to fire away 803-816-1170 is the best way to try to reach out and connect with Jonathan with your ACC question, and we're going to go right now to ACC country and bring on from 247sports.com Jonathan Lifite, who's been a big part of this program for a long time, and a, a great insider a great friend and more jonathan welcome back to the y'all show
2: it's good to be back it's been a while I'm glad to talk well, to you again.
0: well you know this darn virus has kind of messed everything up jonathan and, and that includes this that's show a fact. that's that, a fact that includes this but we're glad to have you back and we have not talked to you since the great georgia tech men's basketball team claimed the acc championship how does that make you feel
2: Man, it made me feel real good. I, I, I've made no bones about it that I'm a Georgia Tech guy, pretty through and through. So uh, to see them do that, even even through kind of all the weird things that happened to get them there, um, but it was uh, it was really awesome and uh, a very strange tournament for sure. Um, with you know with uh, Virginia bowing out kind of due to COVID, and then uh, you know it, it, and it wasn't just them, you know. Florida State got a pass as well, and, and so uh, just a just kind of a crazy experience for sure.
0: But the Jackets and Coach Passner did the best they could and ended up winning their first tournament with him as head coach, and that was the first ACC tournament championship for Tech since, what, Bobby Cremins? Yeah,
2: 1993.
0: Okay, man, long time ago. And, of course, the way the ACC, at least the way they used to do it and probably still do it, is – you are your conference champion purely based on the tournament. Is that still the case?
2: That is true. They do have kind of a regular season champion thing that they that they'll kind of recognize. But the official, when it comes to the the NCAA tournament, you get an automatic birth into the tournament, and it's the tournament champion that gets the that gets the birth.
0: Okay, well, unfortunately for Tech and a lot of the ACC teams, frankly, the postseason, the actual tournament in Indiana, did not work out too well. So now that we've had about a month or so to catch our breath, what's Jonathan Lafite's take on how the ACC fared in the 20?
2: Uh, Well, to your point, they did not fare very well at all. Um, uh, Really, I think they had two teams make the Sweet 16 and no teams make the Final Four or the Elite Eight, for that matter. And so it was, uh, really kind of a down year for the, for the ACC all, all the way around. And, uh, they just did not fare well. And it, you know, and it starts with the two stalwarts you usually expect to do well, North Carolina and Duke. Both of them struggled. Duke did not even make the tournament. Um, they pulled out due to some, uh, due to COVID concerns. Um, you know, and then on top of that, they would not have made it. I, I don't even think they would have made it anyway. North Carolina made it in there, but they didn't last very long. Uh, so those two teams, you know, usually you expect to see them at the top. Virginia has been up there as well. They did pretty well, but they have uh, certainly, uh, you know, they, they certainly weren't the, you know, the national, they were the defending national champions kind of heading into this tournament since we didn't have one in 2020, but they didn't do well as either. So it, it's really been kind of a, a lot of really good teams, but uh, no great teams uh, in the ACC. And that's kind of what's uh, kind of, you know, contributed to the to the slide for this coming year. The good news is, is I think next year, there's a lot of returning talent. There'll be uh, a lot of teams that will look a lot better, and, and uh, I think you'll see kind of more back to a norm for the ACC in 2021-22.
0: You will likely see more of a norm, but one thing we won't see in the forthcoming season is Roy Williams coaching the North Carolina Tar Heels. That's the biggest post-mortem of this past basketball season. He steps aside and a North Carolina legend now taking over UNC's basketball program. Your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, so so uh, Williams kind of stepping aside. If you believe the rumor mill, and I'm not sure that I do, but if you believe the rumor mill, um, they had uh, uh, one of their players, Kessler, who decided, you know what, I'm, I'm taking my wares and I'm going to enter the transfer portal and head elsewhere. He ends up going to Auburn. And if you believe some of the rumors, Roy Williams just finally said, you know what? I'm old enough. I don't have, I don't want to deal with this crap, with this, uh, this whole business of the transfer portal. So I'm just going to retire. And so, you know, if, if you kind of believe that that's, you know, kind of an interesting development. Um, and then the, the choice for the head coach, it, it kind of, I wonder kind of how it, how it'll go. Uh, when Dean Smith retired after his legendary career, um, you know, they had, uh, they had the, the, uh, their longtime assistants, whose whose name just uh, Guthridge, just um, he uh, he took over and was able to kind of keep them on the straight and narrow before you know before he retires, we'll see if uh, if Davis is able to do the same thing.
0: Yeah, Hubert Davis, who of course was a player for UNC back in the Dean Smith days, playing at UNC from eighty eight to ninety two, and a first rounder for the New York Knicks and played in that league a number of years now the new head basketball coach at North Carolina, where he had been an assistant coach since back in 2012 and a legendary program that hasn't necessarily had the stability that a lot of North Carolina fans have looked for over the last couple of years outside of a national championship, of course, a few years back. But Hubert Davis is your new head basketball coach at UNC. Jonathan, were there any other coaching changes in basketball over the last month or so? Uh, I
2: believe Boston College got rid of their guy and has hired a new one, and I forget who they, who they hired. They hired
0: the College of Charleston's coach.
2: Thank you. There you go. All right, thank you. I knew there was another one in there. Other than that, that's really kind of been been it at this point. Uh, nobody else has really uh, – there's been no other
0: changes. All right, Jonathan, let's move on to something called ACC football. A lot of All teams right. have already had their spring football. I know Clemson had lots of people in the stands there at Memorial Stadium for their spring football game. What do what are you hearing? What's the twenty four seven sports pulse on ACC football for this upcoming season? Well, I mean,
2: you know, when you look at the upcoming season, your, your conversation pretty much starts with Clemson, and and then it's kind of everybody else, and we'll see kind of how it goes. Uh, you know, the other you got some other big questions. You got some teams. Um, can they make the next step, and you know they, that they feel like they're prepared to make? Um, and I put kind of North Carolina, Miami, is is in that particular, uh, per, those two in particular are in that category. Um, Miami, they got a big a big lift when when Derek King decided he was coming back for his quote second season senior year. Um, Matt Brown's really kind of gotten things going in North Carolina. Uh, so you know those are kind of your probably your next tier teams. Um, you know Virginia Tech. You never know what you're getting with them. They might be able to step up into that second tier, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll kind of see. And then you've got a whole bunch of teams that are kind of kind of fighting through things. And, and then you kind of look at the bottom, kind of the bottom rung, and, and you got really kind of a team like uh, – I think Duke is kind of trending downward. Um, Georgia Tech's trying to fight their way out of that. They've been recruiting very well and, and really – Probably the the if you look at a team that's taken advantage of the transfer portal more than any other team, uh, Georgia Tech's been one to do that, and so they're looking to to kind of turn things turn things around there. Um, the other the other ones there's a pretty good bit of stability in um, within ACC football at this point, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what big changes might happen you know in the standings uh, this coming fall and and who falls and who, who rises.
0: All right, ACC football, you mentioned Clemson. The likely uh, team's going to be back in Charlotte. And, Jonathan, I hate to admit it, I've lost track how many consecutive ACC titles Dabo Sweeney's teams put together. Do you have that number?
2: Uh, I believe uh, they, they their streak started in in 2015. Okay. Uh, so they've had six straight, um, and they'll be going for their seventh.
0: And who was the last team to, to win the ACC besides Clemson? For, Florida State. FSU won that. Did they beat Florida? Yeah. Did they beat Clemson for that? No, no, no. They're, uh, both they're in the same, same division. division. That's right. Okay, I'm sorry.
2: Florida State actually beat uh, Georgia Tech in uh, 2014. That was a, uh, and then they went actually into the playoff. Florida State did. Uh, so that was the last time you had a a team other than Clemson won the won the, the ACC.
0: And we talk about quarterbacks and more Clemson replacing Trevor Lawrence here. Their quarterback did get some playing time. In the 2020 season, Georgia Tech, we talk about Jeff Collins' team. They, of course, working from the option under Paul Johnson into what Collins has with the more traditional passing attack that you see in college football right now. How is the quarterback situation there at the Institute heading into this season?
2: Well, it's pretty solid. Uh, Jeff Sims started as a true freshman this past season, um, and he he made pretty good progress through the course of the season. Um, I would, I would be shocked if it was anybody but, uh, but Sims that's, that's the quarterback. And, uh, he, he made, he really was quite impressive as a freshman, but he was still a freshman quarterback. You know, the good news for, 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 for Georgia Tech is, is, is really that season didn't even count from the eligibility perspective. So they could potentially have him for four more years. So from that perspective, it's, it's, a pretty solid. Um, and then they also added, uh, added some, uh, players via via the um, their incoming class. Chaden Peary's look good. Um, Jordan Yates is, is the is the, the easily the backup at this point. Um, but they've got some some options. Things are getting better from a quarterback perspective down in the flats.
0: Yeah, and and again, Jeff Collins. I know his team struggled a lot of the time, but they put together some impressive wins. Along the way and, and certainly toward the end of the season, I would say that some of those wins have come and just kind of inspired Georgia Tech to say, we can, we can do this here. It might not be an overnight sensation here, but we can do it. Speaking of Georgia Tech, how about Stuart Sink, Georgia Tech golf alum, getting the big win on the PGA tour and at 47, almost 48 years old. Not bad for a Georgia Tech guy from the, I guess, early nineties doing well on the PGA tour, Jonathan.
2: Yeah, he, he has been doing quite well. Two wins this season. Um, and, you know, at that age, at the age of 47, traditionally, you know, guys get to their late forties and they're, they're gearing up for their, uh, for their stint on the champions tour. Um, if you kind of go back and look, uh, Jack Nicholas had one win after age 45. Um, and he's generally considered, you know, to be the greatest golfer and he had just one win after 45 and that was the Masters in 86 when he won it at age 46. So. You know, uh, to, to have two wins at age 47, and he is playing some very, very good golf right now,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so very, very good for him uh, from that perspective. And
0: I think he makes his home in the Atlanta area, so that's another positive thing.
2: Yeah, he does, and he also has his son, uh, Reagan, who is his caddy.
0: Yeah, I think his golf course that he calls home there, is that the uh, north of, let's see, North Fulton County, maybe? Um, I believe it's uh, Sugarloaf, actually. Oh uh, Sugarloaf, okay. Somewhere up there in that area is the golf course that Jeff Foxworthy lives on. So how would you like to be out there whacking the golf ball and Jeff Foxworthy, a Georgia Tech alum also, by the way, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, sees your golf game?
2: Well, if he were to see mine, he he would probably uh, have a lot of uh, you-might-be-a-hacker-ish a uh, <laughs> jokes. Might not be redneck jokes, but at least hacker jokes.
0: Jonathan, before we get out of here, let's talk a little ACC baseball. If you look at the current standings, the Louisville Cardinals technically atop the Atlantic side of ACC baseball. They've got a 14-6 and six mark, and that's good enough for a 70, 700 winning percentage. Notre Dame is trailing them. Florida State also good. And then some teams that you might not expect have losing records in conference play, NC State and Clemson among those teams. And when you watch what's going on in the coastal side of ACC baseball, some perennial powers like Virginia and North Carolina not doing quite as well in conference play. Virginia Tech's actually in the clubhouse lead right now at 15-9 and nine in conference play. What's Jonathan Leifheit of 24-7 Sports' take on what's going on in ACC baseball thus far?
2: yeah i think you mentioned nc state and they were a preseason that uh, kind of top 10 team and to see kind of what's happened with them has been kind of uh really disappointing um particularly if you're a pack fan um but they they were expected to be really good clemson they i think they felt like they had turned the corner and had a had a pretty good you know coach and everything going in so this has also been disappointing for them on the on the uh, coastal side yeah, Virginia was picked to to win the coastal to see kind of their performance. They have been putting it together and, and done a little better recently. So they might be, you know, finally getting there. Um, but Virginia Tech being on top at this point in the season, I think is probably one of the bigger surprises, um, kind of in the, in, in how things are going. Uh, Georgia Tech's right behind them, uh, kind of coming in there. Miami's been kind of hit or miss uh, and North Carolina's been hit or miss. Uh, I, I will say that all of the teams, the, the schedule this year, they've really had not many midweek games, and uh, uh, until kind of recently, as this is part of the, the COVID scheduling, and, and I think, and uh, uh, that this has kind of wreaked havoc on the on the pitching staffs a little bit. You don't get a good idea, kind of, you know, in the early season they'll run some of their young guys out there or other guys and get them some game experience. And then they can kind of shuffle their lineup as they head into the, into, well into conference play and everything. And it's really been kind of tough to do that when you haven't had that many midweek games early in the season. And so that has lended itself to have a lot more inconsistent performance from a, from a pitching standpoint. And so we've seen that there's been a little bit more parity. Um, you know, normally you'll see a team out there with, with, you know, Pretty commanding. A couple of teams out there with commanding records and most of them, you know, 15 and nine is and 60%. That's yeah, pretty good, but that's not normally what we see. We usually see it a little better than that. So um, definitely been a little bit of a different season from a, from a baseball perspective.
0: He is Jonathan Lifite, 24-7 Sports. We'll have a complete preview of this weekend's college baseball games, including those ACC teams and their matchups. All that is part of our Friday Y'all Show lineup. Jonathan, we appreciate you coming back on. Good to talk to you, and we'll talk to you again next week if that's all right. Sounds great to me. Talk to you soon. All right, Jonathan Lifite, everybody. Coming up after this break, we'll have a quick look at Southern Accent. All that ahead on the show that's all about the South. with more of the Wednesday Y'all Show. Thanks again to Jonathan Liefite for coming on with our ACC report. and All you SEC lovers out there, we're going to have an SEC report filed on Thursday. In fact, we're going to hear from God, Nick Saban. Yeah, his press conference following Alabama's A-Day game from this past weekend. <laughs> he is kind of a God lowercase or lower lowercase g there based on the fact that he's truly college football's greatest coach ever. SEC News and Notes coming Thursday on the Y'all Show. Time now for y'all to go to our Southern Accent Report. This is where we learn all about the South, courtesy of our own Kobe Bennett. Kobe, take it away with today's Southern Accent.
1: Southern Accent. Here's what's entertaining the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Hard to believe it's almost been a decade since we lost Southern acting legend Andy Griffith. The Andy Griffith Show, for which he is best known, took place in the homely fictional town of Mayberry, North Carolina, where Griffith portrayed town sheriff Andy Taylor. The Mayberry setting was based on Griffith's own hometown of Mount Airy, North Carolina, which has since become so synonymous with the name of Mayberry that both it and Mount Airy are interchangeably used as names by its citizens. Every year, the small country town celebrates the show that helped put them on the map with the Mayberry Days Festival near the end of September. Griffith is immortalized there in the Andy Griffith Museum that contains the world's largest collection of Andy Griffith memorabilia and is located a half a mile away from the star's childhood home. In a 1998 interview with Michael Rosen, Griffith himself said, So, Mayberry really was the star of the show.
3: Sheldon actually said one time, I think we misnamed this show. Should have been called Mayberry to start with.
1: So it seems appropriate that Mount Airy pays tribute to the man who gave them so much. Entertainment headlines and more at y'all.com. All
0: All right. Thank you, sir. Good stuff from the Southern accent. Well, that wraps up our numeral one uh, for y'all today. Hey, we've got another action-packed exciting hour two right around the bend hang on when we come back we've got headlines from across the south a southern business report and you're going to hear the owners of the brand new restaurant in atlanta georgia it's called kinship butcher and sundry we'll be talking to owners miles moody and rachel pack plus a little book report who is atop the new york times bestsellers list all that in hour two on this the show that covers everything southern The Wednesday version of the show that covers everything down here, everything southern, where y'all, John Rawl, our number, our website, our number and website, our website and number is 803-816-1170 text us let us know what's on your mind 803-816-1170 and then our website is yall.com the best four letter word there is is Y'all.com. take all those other four letter words out of your mouth and just substitute every time you want to say one of them bad words where the say uh all Y'all you. Yeah, that's what that's what you need to start saying. M- Mama would be real happy if you, you do that, okay? Coming up in the second hour of the Wednesday, y'all, we've got headlines coming up in just a sec. We also have a look at some Southern business headlines. Home Depot in the news, and not for the best reasons for Home Depot, the Georgia-based company, will tell you about all that. And speaking of Georgia-based businesses, we've got Kinship Butcher & Sundry. That is a brand-new operation that's opened up in the swanky peach tree area of ATL. And we're going to be talking to co-owners Miles Moody and Rachel Pack about their hot new establishment as part of our Southern Business interview. That is headed your way this hour. We'll wrap up the hour with a look at the New York Times best sellers now we're getting a little educational on this y'all show don't you think i think so but we're also trying to to give you a lot of fun a lot of good stuff don't forget our three art cruise will be in with us to share his take on southern sports and southern life and just everything about the south from an art cruise perspective all that coming up in our number three but right now we got our number we got our number Two to wrap up, and we're going to do that right now. Okay, again, the big story going on throughout the country over the last 24 hours was the Derek Chauvin case. And as we said, we're happy that it looks like we've kind of um, had a pretty peaceful evening compared to what it could have been if the decision would have been the opposite direction. And so that's a, a good thing. We told you about that. Also, we told you. And we want to remind you that researchers at Texas A&M have identified a new variant of a COVID-19 strain. It's called BV-1. That's for the Brazos Valley, of which Texas A&M, Bryan, and College Station are located in. Not a good thing to find out about a new variant coming out of our own region, BV-1. Now, let's go to a story where a restaurant owner in Georgia is getting $1.7 million over a claim of city harassment. Yes, the owner of Georgia Championship Barbecue Company, name is Eric Whitson. The city of Stockbridge's uh, their insurer will pay money to Whitson, and he's going to get $534,000 from the total amount after this suburban Atlanta barbecue restaurant owner I guess we'll get money from there, but he's uh, the settlement was one point seven million dollars to settle a federal lawsuit claiming he was harassed by government officials and employees. The city of Stockbridge, which again I think is getting five hundred thirty-four thousand dollars, a check written out to Mister. Whitson. The city has not admitted wrongdoing as part of the process; said it's settling to avoid a proact protracted legal process. A lawsuit accused the Stockbridge City Councilman Elton Alexander of repeatedly retaliating against Whitson's restaurant when Whitson declined to give Alexander a free meal. <laughs> okay, that all comes from not giving the guy a free meal. The suit said the dispute began back in May of 2016 when Alexander visited the barbecue restaurant and asked Whitson if he wanted to do business with the city. Whitson replied that he did and Alexander ordered $60 worth of food, but when Alexander was actually asked to pay, the council member said, I thought you wanted to do business with the city and left without paying. And then code enforcement officials began visiting frequently and that he had trouble getting a liquor license or a sign permit. So (laughs) shady goings on in Stockbridge, Georgia, it appears, and now uh, the suit is being settled the restaurant owner of Georgia Championship Barbecue Company. That sounds like a place we all need to go to sometimes. This restaurant owner now getting a $1.7 million settlement after claiming the city harassed him in this Atlanta suburb. You know this stuff goes on all the time. You know, and even in your own community, you've got some shady politicos who go in places and expect special treatment perhaps. Maybe they deserve it. Maybe they deserve all of the rewards of being an elected official, but maybe they don't. And in this case, this owner of the barbecue place wasn't going to give the guy a free meal. That's a $60 at a barbecue restaurant. That's what evidently the guy spent to start all this mess. That's a lot of money. I know barbecue is not the cheapest choice when you're out buying barbecue, but I guess he might have been buying for others too, and that, I guess that would add up. Nothing like a good barbecue buffet, or some people call them a buffet, and yeah, those can end up being twenty-five dollars or so per plate. So yeah, you twenty-five, two people, tax, a couple of sweet teas, maybe a banana pudding along the way. You could see where that would add up. So, but yeah, to settle for that amount of money is is crazy. It's not music to our ears, and you know what else is not music to our ears? We're about to get hit with cicadas across some of the southern states, and we've got some tips to help you get ready for the cicada outbreak. Now, I know they're going to be a nuisance in places like Virginia, West Virginia, East Tennessee. It looks like Kentucky's going to get hard, hit hard with this new brood X that's coming out. So what can you do to minimize the damage, the damage of the noise, the damage that they're going to just have by their once every 17-year outbreak? Well, for young, newly planted trees, especially oak, maple, and fruit trees, take action when you see the X is coming. And so the best thing to do is to wrap your trees in netting. So if you're out looking on the stock market to invest in something, any kind of company that has netting might be a good investment right now because there's going to be a surge on buying netting. The netting needs to contain holes that are three-eighths of an inch and Just one quarter of an inch will work as well, but the netting will maybe protect your small trees as these cicadas will be all over the place and making lots of racket and potentially damaging trees. How do cicadas damage trees? They're not going to eat your leaves or flowers, according to one expert. The only major damage these cicadas can do is on twigs and branches by simply laying their eggs because they saw into them, kind of cut into them and insert their eggs into where that cut is placed so for a younger tree with this X outbreak if there are a lot of cuts of and lots of cicadas making those cuts the combination can severely harm the tree even kill it and if it's a fruit tree it can cause the fruit not to grow properly on the tree so netting is the buzzword or should i say the loud buzzword with cicadas headed your way in fact If you have already experienced a cicada outbreak, this is the once every 17-year brood X that's going to be popping up, if not already. When we're on cicada watch, do me a big favor. If you've got a outbreak and you've got them keeping you up now, let me know, 803-816-117. I want to kind of maybe put on a map where these things are because I haven't heard them that I'm aware of. Of course, I heard nothing but loud rain when I was trying to get my beauty rest last evening. So yeah, if you've got them, I remember back in the mid-90s, it might have even been 1997 now that I think of it exactly, in Middle Tennessee, that's where I was hanging my hat at that time, and it sounded like somebody was constantly outside running a weed eater when the cicada outbreak happened in 1997. That's been 24 years, so it might have been a different brood that I experienced at that time. Now, one good thing for me back in that time period, I think I went to Florida somewhere during that summertime outbreak, and so I didn't have to put up with it but for maybe a day or two, but just a weird, weird deal. And for me, I grew up in a part of the South that we, to my knowledge, never had cicadas. I know in my roughly 21 years of growing up in the same state, I never heard of a cicada. And so moving into Middle Tennessee like I did in the 90s, those things sounded like a million uh, weed eaters out running in your yard, and and that was not something that you'd want to hear when you're trying to get your beauty rest then. And it looks like a lot of Southerners are about to experience the same darn thing real soon if they're not experiencing it already. More headlines from across the Southeast here on the Y'all Show. How about some stories from East Tennessee? How about some stories specifically from East Tennessee that have to do with mayors? Now, you might have remembered the other day there was an awful shooting at a school at Austin East High School in Knoxville, and now the mayor of Knoxville is filing a court petition seeking the release of the Austin East shooting body cam video, and Knoxville Mayor India Kincannon held a press conference this week to address the effort to release this police body cam footage from the Austin East Magnon High School shooting and she is disputing a court order sought by Knox County District Attorney's Office, which precluded the release of evidence in a criminal investigation. The mayor announced her office has filed a petition in Knox County Criminal Court to allow for the release of body camera footage that shows the fatal shooting of a 17-year-old named Anthony Thompson Jr. Now, this follows what we saw, as we mentioned in Hour 1, the shooting on Tuesday in Columbus, Ohio, and they've already released some body cam footage from that. So at least in East Tennessee, they're being a little bit uh, protective of body cam footage, which I think is actually the smart thing. That is the smart thing. These Some of these places are rushing to get this body cam out to the general public, and it's not really the public's need to know. This thing has to go to – it's likely going to get used in a courtroom, and it will taint – opinions. There's no reason to put it out there to the whole public, just to the people that need to know. But that's what the mayor of Knoxville, she's going after this police footage and she's looking to have it released. Inja Cannon, mayor of Knoxville. Now, another East Tennessee city has got a new mayor as of Tuesday. Tim Kelly sworn in as the lookout city of Chattanooga's new chief executive. He's replacing Andy Burke. And Burke had term limits, so he couldn't run again, and he's handed over control of the government to Kelly. Now, in a runoff election, Kelly defeated Kim White to win a four-year term as mayor of the Scenic City. Kelly's a former auto dealership owner, and he co-founded—I need to have a beer with this guy—the new mayor of Chattanooga, co-founded Chattanooga Brewing Company. And he is a member of what he calls the Chattanooga Party and said he voted— against Donald Trump for president, breaking with Republicans. Well, well, well. Okay, well, the mayor position in Chattanooga is a nonpartisan one, so he is a former Democratic state senator. Or, no, he's not. Burke was. But Tim Kelly is your new chief executive of Chattanooga, Hamilton County, in East Tennessee. Wish him the best in one of our great southern cities. How how about this one? A feel-good story coming to you. How about your barbers in Arkansas? No, not people with the last name Barber. I'm talking about people that cut your hair. A pair of barbers in Batesville, Arkansas, have truly been side-by-side in the barbershop for 60 years. Now, there's a reason for that. These two barbers have been cutting hair side-by-side because Farrell, F-A-I-R-L, and Harrell, H-A-I-R-L, Farrell and Harrell Anderson are twin brothers. They started cutting hair in 1960 and they're in Batesville, Arkansas. They've been doing it all these years, getting the high and tights and the uh, shaves and all the other fun stuff that barbers do. And they... Have done a great job at Anderson's Brothers Barbershop, Batesville, Arkansas. How about working with your twin brother since 1960 at a barbershop? You have to wonder when you're a customer and you go in there, if you're a fellow, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes the, the relationship between a man and his barber is a kind of important relationship. So do you feel you might be jilting the other one when you walk in there and you don't give them that business and that big tip that you know you give them? Yeah, but uh, yeah, they're in Batesville, Arkansas. Twin brothers, Farrell and Harold Anderson, 60 years of cutting hair and putting little baby boys up in those chairs and making them cry on that first haircut. And isn't that a cute memory? Isn't that one of our great scenes of life, Norman Rockwell South, that we've all experienced as both maybe the kid, but as you grow older, as as a man at least, you've seen the kid come in there. And they put the little piece of wood up in the barber chair and they get that first haircut and they look so darn cute. We love our kids here on the Y'all show. So I guess even some of the little girls of the South get their first haircut, maybe at the barber shop, but, and, and the barbershops, shops, we love them because they're a reasonable place to do business. If you're, if you're a, a, a normal um, haircut place in the South, I say a haircut for a fella unless you're doing amazing things with the hair, it ought to cost you about $20, $25. And that might be a little steep in some places. Ladies, I feel for you, uh, an average haircut for a lady is always going to be more expensive than the fellas. So that's one thing in equity that uh, maybe the barbershops need to start protesting that uh, they're, they're not being given the compensation they deserve. They want to get the $100 plus haircuts like the salons of the of the south get evidently so congratulations to the anderson barbershop baseball arkansas way to go here's another feel-good story how about this mississippi woman getting a greeting she just turned 105 years old and for years cora bell edison's her 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 caretaker there in ridgeland mississippi had been trying to get the attention of somebody and so miss ellison's caretaker gilda crawford Said that she always admired this fellow and she decided to try to get him to give this lady, Miss Edison, a greeting for her 105th birthday. And lordy, lordy, this young man came through to send her birthday greetings. Here's the greeting, and I'll have to imitate it here Hey, Miss Edison. It's Tim Tebow. I wanted to make this video and say happy birthday. I know last Tuesday you turned 105 years old, and that is so incredible. I also know we have a lot in common. I know that you have five children, and I'm the baby of five, so we have that in common. And I know that you were a nurse, and you love helping people, and that's also what I feel called to do. But most importantly, I know that you love the Lord which is most important. That greeting, again, from Tim Tebow, the recently retired baseball player and Heisman Trophy winner, to 105-year-old Cora Bell Edison, 105 in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Don't we love Tim Tebow? Isn't that a really cool story? You betcha. Also in the South, how about this feel-good story coming to us from a Tennessee restaurant? A terminally ill customer left a $1,000 tip and paid for two other tables at this restaurant at the Berg Steakhouse in Gatlinburg. The staff of the restaurant were surprised when they found the customer's generosity, both to them and to the man's fellow patrons, And the restaurant there in, in Gatlinburg, which is usually pretty busy over the weekend, this guy leaving this huge tip at the Berg Steakhouse, which I've not had a chance to dine in. I was just in Sevierville not long ago and didn't make it down the road to Gatlinburg, but that's a place maybe on the bucket list, Berg Steakhouse. The head server there, Ashley Rackstraw, told the Knoxville television station that they are always busy when uh, the weekend arrives, but in this case, they were able to accommodate this person, and they were just having a, a good day when this person comes in and leaves a $1,000 tip at the Berg Steakhouse in Gatlinburg. Really, really good stuff. All right, lastly, also out of Tennessee, this is from Middle Tennessee, Humphreys County, around Waverly. That is the county that country music legend, the coal miner's daughter, Loretta Lynn, lives in. And to celebrate her 89th birthday last week, and the fact that she's been back on the Billboard charts for a new album. They're at her Hurricane Mills Ranch. They're honoring Loretta Lynn's 60-year career. Two artists have painted a mural there at her ranch, and it's a beautiful mural that shows her throughout the year. So when you're heading down I-40 between nashville and memphis and places like parker's crossroads and 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 jackson and all the other fun places of i-40 in tennessee stop on by hurricane mills humphreys county and check this beautiful i mean i've seen a lot of billboards or, or murals put up here in recent years this one's really classy i love the transition of the images of loretta through the years and how about the fact that she's back on the billboard top charts for her brand new album that's a An amazing feat by Loretta Lynn. Looking good, looking and sounding strong. We are very happy for everything going on with Loretta. Well, that will wrap up a look at news headlines here on the Y'all Show on this Wednesday. When we come back, we're going to have a few business things to tell you about. All that is coming up. Plus, later in the hour, Kinship Butcher and Sundry, Atlanta, Georgia is in our Southern Business Spotlight. Stay tuned.
3: cares about me, ain't even got a friend Baby's gone and left me, when will my troubles end?
4: Black night is falling, oh I hate to be alone <laughs> I keep crying for my baby But not another day is
0: gone Oh, play that saxophone here on a Wednesday, yeah. With Charles Brown music for you now. Hey y'all, this is John. This is the Y'all Show, where we talk about country music, blues music, a little southern rock and then we mix all that in with sports and politics and gossip and oh man it's just it's just unusual that's all i can say we appreciate all you tuning in i actually want to share with you some amazing i mean i don't want to brag too much but i'm going to brag if i get a chance all right and, and this is more of a bragging about y'all not not me but we just launched the rebirth of the Y'all Show on Monday. And we have already garnered more than 4,000 downloads of our show's podcast. Now, how do you find that podcast? That's available at y'all.com, Y-A-L-L.com. It's the homepage of the South. And all you got to do is go on there and find our show. We've had two shows that we put up. We did a show Monday and Tuesday. Today's show will also be posted. Every day will be posted at Y'all. We've had. We actually have more than... I think 400 episodes of the Y'all show up there as we've been doing this thing since 2018. But our rebirth after a long coronavirus pause has had us now with more than, I think I saw 4,000 downloads. Now you can get it at y'all.com. You also can let people like iTunes do the hard work for you. Go to iTunes and search for The Y'all Show, and you can subscribe free of charge, and this show will automatically come to your smartphone or your iPad every day. Every day that we get this uploaded, it's right there for you to listen to. And it's on other streaming options with the podcast edition. So. You can tote it with you when you're out there on the treadmill and you want to learn about the South. We're a great option. We're the only option, frankly, and we appreciate all of you, the thousands of you who listen to us on our podcast. And, of course, the hundreds of thousands of you who catch us every day on great radio stations across the Southeast. Time now on the Y'all Show to talk a little Southern business. And this is unfortunate business for business news for Home Depot as faith leaders in that state are now calling for a boycott of Home Depot over its response to the recent Georgia voting law that went into effect in the Peach State. Now, what did Home Depot do wrong? Their sin was they didn't do enough, according to these thousand Georgia churches, many of which appear to be black churches coming out saying that a boycott is not something we wanted to do, but now it's something that we must do. That from Bishop Reginald T. Jackson. He said that Home Depot simply refused to respond not only to our request to meet, but to their other corporate partners. They believe their silence is appropriate, but not on the issue of voting rights. Blacks and people of color, like others, are also their customers, and they benefit from our dollars. We believe they should oppose any effort to suppress our votes. So that coming out of Georgia in terms of Home Depot. Now I saw somewhere where I, it might've been the same minister praised Louis Farrakhan. And, and it, I, I, I don't know if this one, that was a story that I've just scanned over, but yeah, Chick-fil-A Arby's others kind of got on board with the, I guess, criticism of the new Georgia voting laws and Home Depot kind of took a pass. And now, Over a 1,000 Georgia churches have called for a nationwide boycott of Home Depot, accusing them of standing on the sidelines during this voting rights battle that was going on in Georgia. So Home Depot, I'm actually a little stunned that they didn't kind of become woke. As Clay Travis, Fox Sports Radio personality, say once you go woke, you go broke. (laughs) I don't know if Chick-fil-A and these other companies like Delta Airlines are going to go broke. For their support of the, uh, I guess, the black faith leaders and those who were against the Georgia voting laws changing. More to come, I'm sure, on that story. Now to Netflix. If you're a Netflix customer, the subscriber growth, and it's been going, uh, it's been slowing down, let's be honest with you. Netflix is pandemic fueled subscriber growth, where you saw untold numbers of people going to Netflix because they truly had nothing else to do. Well, that growth is slowing far faster than anticipated as people who've been cooped at home are able to get out and do other things again. So if you own, I guess, Netflix is something you can own stock in. Netflix's subscriber growth is slowly far slowing far faster than anticipated as those people are now finding those other things to do. The video streaming service added 4 million worldwide subscribers from January through March, its smallest gain during a three-month period in four years. And that performance reported this week was about two million fewer subscribers than both management and analysts had predicted for Netflix than that what they forecast for the first semester first semester, first quarter of twenty twenty one. So I don't think Netflix is going to be turning in the towel and, and hanging it up anytime soon, but yeah, they're below the forecast of their money making there for Netflix. Now what about Flowers. I mean, I, I know this is a business feature here on the Y'all Show, but the pandemic has really hurt those of you out there looking for tulips, bluebells, and cherry blossoms, as the growers of those, often in places like Europe, have had a real shortage And and more. I mean, Japan's cherry blossom trees also are pretty hard to find right now. Across the world, authorities are seeking to stave off a new surge of coronavirus. And that's caused a shortage of our trees coming from places like Belgium and the Netherlands and more. And so when you have all this going on, it's harder to get all this stuff kind of going in its natural pipeline. Normally more than 100,000 people would be at some of these places looking at the trees in bloom in places like Europe. Of course, tourism is off right now. So if you're out going to your local garden center and you're trying to maybe get an imported tree or flower of some type, you might have noticed it's uh, slim Pickens right now. How about a mutiny in the Tennessee whiskey world? Oh, what are we talking about here? Oh, Jeff Arnett, he might be the Benedict Arnold of Tennessee whiskey. He was the former top distiller at Lynchburg's Jack Daniels, and it was announced this week that this guy who left Jack Daniels at the end of 2020, I think it was, retired, has now announced that he's opening a new whiskey distillery in the Great Smoky Mountains. And that, my friends, is, um, it could be good news, let's be honest with you. It's going to be company distilling. They will open a 4,000-square-foot tasting room in Townsend, Tennessee. And Jeff Arnett, the former Jack Daniels master distiller, by the way, has had some partners, and they're going to open that. And then a 20,000-square-foot distillery will open in Alcoa, Tennessee, and a tasting room open in Thompson Station. That's near Nashville. Technically, I think that's uh, southern Williamson County. Arnett's teaming up with former Tennessee Distillers Guild President Chris Tatum and some other business people as their initiative is is expected to include a $20 million investment and will add 50 to 60 jobs. Yes, Jack Daniel's distiller, master distiller now going to open up something else. Now, if you're into whiskey and Jack Daniel's in particular, I have the list of their master distillers. And they have had, since their founding in 1866, only nine master distillers of Jack Daniel's, starting in 1866 with distiller number one, Nearest Green. Jack Daniel was actually the second master distiller, as he served from 1881 to 1911. And then you had Jess Motlow, and a big name in that part of, let's see... um, Moore County, that's where Lynchburg is. Jess Motlow, master distiller for 30 years up until 1941. Then Lim Tolley, followed by Jess Gamble, Frank Bobo. Then Jimmy Bedford from 1988 to 2007. Then this Benedict Arnold fellow, Jeff Arnett, from 2008 to 2020. He left. The new master distiller of Jack Daniels is number nine, the number nine guy in the secession plan for Jack Daniels, and that's Chris Fletcher who I think is related to some of the founders, or at least some of the master distillers in the past at Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, Tennessee. So yeah, and he was raised there in Lynchburg, the current master distiller, Chris Fletcher. So some good whiskey news here for you on a Wednesday. How about that? So there we have it. We got it covered for you at the Y'all Show. Well, we'll tell you about some good butcher news when we come back after the break, because in Atlanta, Georgia, Kinship Butcher and Suntry has just opened up in the Peachtree section of that city, and we're going to be talking to the co-owners of Kinship when we come right back after the break. And you're going to learn a lot about what they have in a store for all the customers that come into their really swanky place there in the Atlanta area. So that's coming up next. You don't want to miss it. Is our Southern Business Report rolls on on the show that's all about the south let's say it together it's all about the south
3: I was 14, I was falling fast For a blue-eyed girl in my homeroom class Trying to find the courage to ask her out Was like trying to get
5: off from a water spout What she would have said, I can't say I never did ask, and she moved away Did I learn something from my blue-eyed girl Sink or swim, you gotta give it a whirl. Life's a dance, you learn as you go Sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow Don't worry about what you don't know Life's a dance, you learn as you go
0: yes it is back on the y'all show john michael montgomery thank you sir for that uh, nice little tune from the 19 nanas early nineties to be specific out on atlantic records john michael ooh, those dimples ladies love that how are y'all on the dimple front i, I don't have any dimples i think it's really cost me through the years but maybe those dimples that you might have have Benefited you. Well, good on you. Nice to meet you here on the Y'all Show with John Raw. And nice to meet our next guest. And I mean, meet as in M E A T. Miles Moody and Rachel Pack have opened up the awesome new place that you could go in and get a big old piece of meat and you could eat it right there, or you could take it with you because it's a butchery. A butcher shop. butcher Is it butchery work? I better look that one up. It's a butcher place, and it's a restaurant, and it's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's called Kinship, and they are the owners of this brand-new place, a place that was supposed to open in 2019, but then that darn thing came from China and kind of messed things up for them. So they're just now getting it going, and Rachel and Miles Moody, owners of Rachel Pack, Miles Moody, they're kind of a team. They're opening up Kinship Butcher and Sundra in Atlanta, and they're on right now. Tell us about it here as part of our Southern Business Spotlight of the Y'all Show. And I have to ask y'all, what in the world are we talking about when you say that you have there at the place on Peachtree a butcher shop?
5: (laughs) We are going to be a whole animal butcher. Um, so we're going to be sourcing getting whole animals as, as much as we possibly can. Obviously, on meat based. We're going to be working with a farm called Comfort Farms, uh, which is down in Milledgeville, which we are very happy to be supporting. Um, and we're going to be working with uh, Southern River Farms, which is going to be sourcing our beef. Um, and again, there's a conversation about organic and in the wine program, we're going to be having organic and biodynamic um, practice farming practices in our wine uh, on the shelves, but there's also the com- the conversation that I think needs to be had concerning organic and biodynamic, and what that means in terms of certification and what it means for smaller farmers who are doing very good practices and care about their animals who might not be certified organic. So kinship is a way that we can have a conversation with people about what that means, where we get where we get our food. Uh, like you said, Georgia is a, a huge agricultural community. Um, we're working with local Atlanta farms, Sparta Gardens, and et cetera, uh, Cosmos Farms. Some of the, the names you might, farms. yeah, some of the names you'll find in the farmers markets here and in, and in, uh, in Freedom Parkway and in Grand Park, where we're closer to. Um, just trying to get uh, community agriculture um, to to people and make it more accessible and have in depth conversations about what all these but kind of buzzwords mean.
4: And I think it's also important to note that our produce case, and our CSA, will completely align with the seasons. So you may not find strawberries or tomatoes in December, but maybe they'll pop up when they're actually in season locally. So we, right. we really want to respect the farmers and their work and go with the seasons and, yep. and respect the seasons.
0: Well, Rachel, we know you may have a little bit more work to do on Georgia history, but you know a lot about wine as you have a background there in New York City, and you're bringing that experience to there at Kinship. Tell me about the wine selection that you'll have.
4: Well, wonderful. Um, I do love wine. I'm a sommelier. I was the um, beverage director at Aska as where, where we met in New York. And I'm kind of bringing a similar philosophy, where I want to share uh, wine that is at least practicing organic or biodynamic. But I don't super care about certification because it's not one size fits all it's someone's livelihood. So there, there's a lot of interpretation of how people use their philosophies to, to make wine. So it is going to be a natural wine program, but I'm not going to be the funkiest kid, the coolest kid on the block. Um, The wines that I like to, to choose, have a wonderful story that um, kind of just portrays that there is someone at this location Doing something special and making this bottle for you, and so it's going to have that sense of connection, that that personal touch, but maybe a little bit more classic in taste. So,
0: and Rachel, we mentioned CSA for some of the meat that will be offered there at Kinship. Georgia's got a lot of wineries. Are you going to be able to offer some of those wines there at Kinship?
4: I hope so. I'm I'm discovering them, um, and I, I I can't wait to. Taste
0: them all. <laughs> Miles, get her up to North Georgia and take her around. Beautiful I, place up there. You might even see a ski resort.
4: That's perfect.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't think there's one in Georgia, but I could no. be wrong.
4: <laughs> I was hopeful. It was
0: the perfect place then. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, it might be perfect, but ski resort. Uh, maybe somewhere around Dahlonega somebody can put one in at some point. Okay, you're going to have a shop there at kinship-atl.com. Tell me what some of the things that people can find there when that's up and going. So once we have
5: that, obviously, once we have the the main space open, we want to start serving the community through organized boxes. So you can get a butcher box or a veggie box that you can have sort of as a recurring ordered item. Um, And then maybe we can do prepared, start to do prepared, not prepared meals, I mean, um, boxes that basically you get your cut of meat, you get your veggies, you get a dessert like cookie dough, and it's all presented to you, but you have to cook it yourself with instructions. So... We create a menu for the night, and then you get to add your own spin on things. So that'll be reservable through the shop, and then obviously merchandise. So yeah, t-shirts, t-shirts, bags, everything like that.
4: And so. then hopefully we get to do some – our kin pop-up within our space too once we get our feet underneath right. us so we, we still get our connection to some fine dining, but in a way that's approachable and safe for everybody.
0: Again, Kinship, Butcher, and Sundry, Atlanta, Georgia – and if you want to go there, the address is 1019 Virginia Avenue. And on a map, if you're looking at downtown Atlanta, you're kind of, what, northeast of downtown? Yes. Okay. Yeah. How far? Everybody wants to know, where are you in relation to uh, Peachtree? <laughs> so we are east of Peachtree. Um, you're going to have to basically
5: cross all the roads and streets in that area kind of diverted due to Piedmont Park. But we're on the opposite side of Piedmont Park from Peachtree.
0: Okay. All right. Again, Atlanta, kind of a big place for us who aren't yes. <laughs> so familiar with the place. Again, 1019 Virginia Avenue is the actual address when you make your plans to go to Kinship in Atlanta. And I want to ask both of you, I know opening a restaurant has to be a, a lot of fun, but a challenge too. Tell me about the building that you're in there on Virginia Avenue. What What's the history behind it? And have you had to kind of go in and follow a bunch of rules as you get ready to open
5: so we're actually in a historical preservation building. Um, yeah, I figured so, you might be. <laughs> yes, yeah, so so it's a, the building's original. I forget the exact date.
4: It's a century old. I think it's
5: yeah. Um, and so we are not allowed legally to touch the the any of the walls, the foundational walls, so those brick walls that give it all of its charm and character, um, which has been, I mean. If you look at the building itself, it's gorgeous, it's timeless, and I think it really, you can see a butcher shop and a grocery shop in that building, and you get the sense of place and community and family and and everything that we wanted to drive in this space. Um, the drawback being, of course, that the city is a little bit concerned when it comes to, to all of those sorts of rules and regulations that you have going into a space like that. And, uh so we wouldn't change a thing. The building is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a piece of history itself. Uh, we hope to be to honor it with the kind of community that we'll bring into that space. But it's definitely been a, a slug as far as uh, trying to build out. This is our first business, <laughs> and so we're learning a lot. Needless mm-hmm. to say. And y'all are still
0: together. That's amazing. Absolutely.
4: I mean, we used to work twelve to sixteen hours a day, and then go home together and still be just fine and not- fight, and then giggle like none of this is he he he. It's- yeah. <laughs> so we're we're used to it, especially after the pandemic, we can spend all of our time together and
0: right.
1: work and, and together
4: and decide things together. It's great,
0: and you mentioned the pandemic, of course, that's part of the reason you still have it open. You were supposed to open a long time now in the South, Rachel, we like to take our time, but uh, I don't believe y'all wanted to take this long to get kinship up and going. As the thing kind of happened right in the middle of your opening process, that plus the preservation efforts that you have to undergo there at your building on Virginia. Tell me about where, where you are and, and how you've been able to go through all the, the hardship of kinship.
5: Uh, honestly, it's just taking it one day at a time and realizing that it's not it's not an if the doors will open. It's a when the doors will open. And And we've gotten a lot of, Congratulations and pep talks. And we're so excited to have you from our neighbors just in the neighborhood that really make it worthwhile to. It gets very frustrating because for us coming from New York, especially pre-pandemic, we're both German people who like to, to accomplish things very quickly and very effectively. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not too um, but and that's not to say I don't believe that this would be a problem if it weren't a pandemic, I think we would have been able to do things on, on a regular time schedule mm-hmm. um, and effectively, but I just think this slowed everything down. And so really the community thus far is the thing that's been able to get us through it. And obviously each other, if we work very well together and kind of keep each other from going insane, <laughs> <by> saying,
4: <Sometimes. laughs>
5: there's, an, there's going to be a day we're going to be open and then, then we'll have a whole other set of problems. Mm-hmm. Then we'll have the good kind of problems. We're too busy. You know? yeah. well, we we
4: congr- try to look on the bright side of things and maybe we get to focus more on the details that weren't necessarily imperative to our opening when we tried to open it several months ago, but we we get to think through every single step of the process and try to be as prepared as possible. So that's our silver lining.
0: Way to go on sticking through all of the challenges. And, and so we, I mean, I guess one positive, unlike a lot of restaurants out there who had to lay people off, I guess you didn't really have to lay anybody off over this process. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. a positive thing, but, We're looking forward to when you open and when you open, Miles and Rachel, and those of us who were lucky to come in and and enjoy the experience of kinship. Tell me what you think, if you had to project, is going to be maybe your top couple of things people are going to be ordering off your menu and what you have there.
5: So I have to say it's going to be hard. I mean, obviously in the South we love our, our pigs, so I anticipate that we'll be selling a lot of hogs. And then we're going to have some breakfast sandwiches, which feature local Um, like local baking companies root baking company and then thomasville tome obviously um, coming out of georgia as well so i think the breakfast sandwiches are going to be a hit as well Um, what time will you open we're going to open at seven in the morning
0: okay
5: and then we'll be going until seven at night just so we can hit both sides of you need what you get before work and then you need what you need uh, after work just before dinner so a
4: little bit of home before
0: home Uh very good all right and then you said the pork are you going to have barbecue
5: we won't have barbecue, but I will have instructions, and I'm happy to talk to people about that. Um, I think that the conversation you can have with somebody like myself who can redirect you, uh, since we are a whole animal butchery, is to say, okay, you don't only have to barbecue the brisket. You can barbecue other items as well and have conversations about what cuts of meat are good for different things. Um, but we will so- certainly have it, plenty of pork shoulders at picnics.
0: Talking pigs. Wow, what a great interview. Thanks to the owners of Kinship, Butcher, and Sundry, Atlanta, Georgia, Miles Moody, and Rachel Pack. Always good to talk talk a little hog, if you know what I mean. Well, we're going to hog up the rest of this hour after this timeout. We're going to take a quick look at the New York Times bestsellers list. Some familiar faces are on there and some people's uh, are on there that i don't know how in the world they're on the new york times bestsellers list but i'll tell you who they are don't forget hour three is heading your way soon art Cruz is ready and chomping at the bit we're gonna let him get to it on the y'all show hit it
4: this ain't no disco it ain't no country club either this is l.a
5: do is have a little fun before I die. Just a man next
4: to me out of nowhere. Apropos, nothing. He says his name is William. I'm sure he's Bill, Billy, or Mac or Buddy. And he's played up with me. And I wonder if he's ever had a day of fun in his whole life.
0: Oh, yeah, the Boot Hill Bombshell right here on the Y'all Show, wrapping up the second hour. We're going to wrap it up talking a little books before we move over to hour three. And if you look at the latest New York Times bestsellers list, if you want to do some light reading, Amanda Gorman, man, what a name. She is maybe the biggest name that you never heard of until the year 2021 arrived. Amanda Gorman's atop the New York Times bestsellers combined print and ebook fiction list with her book, The Hill We Climb, the young lady that was part of Biden's inauguration day. Number two on the list is The Four Winds from Kristen Hanna. And Southerner Delia Owens maintains her just absolute dominance on the book chart with her book Where the Crawdads Sing. Now, 125 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list. You have The Midnight Library from Matt Haig is number four. And then a book called Good Company by Cynthia Sweeney is at number five. This, the combined print and ebook fiction list. Now, when we look at the nonfiction list, how about another musician, maybe a person that was making those hits alongside Sheryl Crow back in the 90s? Brandi Carlisle, the Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter, has got a book that's brand new. It's called Broken Horses. The Washington State native has that book at number one on the nonfiction category here this week. Aaron French has a new book out called Finding Freedom. It's a memoir. And then Jenny Lawson, a humorist, has the book Broken Out this week. And this one is definitely on my must-read list. Hunter Biden and Beautiful Things. Did you know he was a lawyer and an artist? He's also the son of the current president. And he details tragedies within his family and his path to sobriety. I didn't know he had actually successfully got out of that. But yeah, his book is called Beautiful Things. It's number four on the New York Times bestsellers list. And then Judy Battalion and The Light of Days wraps up the nonfiction List at number five little books for you if that's something you're inclined to be partaking of here this time of year well that will put a wrap on our number two of the y'all show hang on we got another hour headed your way art Cruz has lots of good sports to talk about including spring football coming up for the spring game at least for the tennessee volunteers we'll have other sports news and notes coming from art And more on the show that covers everything Southern. This is y'all. Stay with us now. And the hit's coming. This is the show covering everything Southern. John Rawl now joined by Art Cruz. Your calls. Text welcome at 803-816-1170. We cover everything Southern here on the Y'all Show. And one of these days, we're going to have to have Art Cruz pass our Southern test. Because you could be a spy, Art. Are you Are you actually a Southerner? Oh, oh, oh. Go for it. I'm actually
3: a Southerner, born and raised in the South, and I'd be glad to take that
0: test one of these days <laughs> as long as you provide me with the answers beforehand. Yeah, we can do that. All right. <laughs> Good to have you in. Good to have all of y'all here on the show about the South. Y'all.com is the homepage of the South. Go there and get a podcast of our show. I don't know if you heard me bragging in the previous hour. We've had thousands of people. I did. I did. Listen, I I, mean, I don't know if that's you just hitting the button over and over. But yeah, people like what we're doing so we got to keep it up
3: uh, it is me hitting the button and then i expect the check to be in the mail that yeah. you promised now, me to doing that
0: today millions tomorrow that's that's what we're trying to achieve here on y'all but uh let's talk a little southern sports with art Cruz. and man uh, i want to talk about golf i mentioned that a little bit previous right. in the show i want to get your take on what's going on with the pga tour it's to me it seems like the rich keep getting richer we got a golf tournament in New Orleans this weekend, a Zurich Classic. That is uh, something I want to talk to you about. But okay. we love our college football. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you saw Alabama's A-Day game this past weekend. It got a lot of attention. We're going to have some audio from Nick Saban on Thursday's y'all show as part of our SEC report. I love that spring game Alabama does because he always wears the nice pink, in this case this year, a pink right. suit, right. pink tie, and he gets out there yelling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have Josh Heupel in Knoxville this weekend, the UT Orange and White game. What's going to happen, in your opinion? You've got a a, we announced here on Tuesday's y'all show Milton coming in from the north, from Michigan to perhaps be the starting quarterback for Tennessee. What 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 are you looking for here this weekend at Neyland Stadium?
3: Well, we're going to see um, Tennessee play in the Orange and White game. It starts at uh, four o'clock Eastern Time. 3 o'clock. That's 3 o'clock God's time here in the Central Time Zone. And um, Joe Milton, who is the new Tennessee quarterback who will be a transfer from Michigan, of course, will not play in that game, which means that, in my opinion, if we watch the orange and white game this weekend, we will not see the quarterback who will be the starting quarterback for Tennessee in the fall.
0: You, you say he's already the best quarterback. I,
3: I, I think he is the odds-on favorite. Jo, Joe Milton is an... Ex- is an experienced quarterback. He played at Michigan. He's not going to be transferring. I don't believe John to go somewhere where he is going to ride the pines and back somebody else up. He's looking to go where he can play. I'm not saying that he's been promised a starting job, but I think Joe Milton is smart enough to have picked out a place where he knows he's going to play. It's like Brooks Kepka the other day, uh, of course, had been injured and played in uh, the Masters Golf Tournament after only – Approximately one month after knee surgery, and a reporter asked him, "How did he feel?" And uh, Brooks Kepka said, "Well, I didn't come here to finish second. Same with Joe Milton. He's not going anywhere to be a backup. And I expect the six foot four, two hundred forty-five pound quarterback to be the starting quarterback for Tennessee this fall. What I will be looking for uh, this spring." It's hard to say. Quite frankly, I'll be looking at how thin they are at the linebacking spot. They're going to have a decent offensive line this year, John. So I'll be looking to see how the offensive line, uh, how the offensive line performs. Um, Cade Mays will be, I believe, the Swiss Army knife of the Tennessee offensive line this year. His brother Cooper, will be playing center. Darnell Wright is a fixture at right tackle, but all the other spots on the offensive line, I believe, are developmental. I believe they have some depth, but uh, there is no position that is set in stone and already won other than, I believe, Cooper Mays and Cade Mays. I think one thing we can really look for, John, is something that's going to happen after the orange and white game, I believe after these inter-squad games, these spring games that occur all around the country, players will have a better idea of whether they're going to be starting or whether they're going to be second string or third team on their respective teams around the country. And once they figure that out, most kids who are Backups or third stringers will be looking to move. They will be looking to transfer to another school. They will hit the transfer portal because, as of now, you can hit the transfer portal and transfer to another school and play immediately. You don't have to sit out a year. Someone can go through the portal and play in the fall. So, once all these spring games are played, let's wait and see who hits the transfer portal. I believe Tennessee will be adding quite a few players to their roster through the portal, and I think that's true for all teams in the Southeast. I believe everyone will be looking at the portal looking to add Add to wherever their week this year.
0: and speaking of those spring games, it's a busy Saturday and Friday in terms of southern teams having spring football games. You mentioned Tennessee, of course, Saturday is the day there in Knoxville. In the ACC this weekend, you've got Friday night, the 23rd Georgia Tech they do things a little different there at uh, North Avenue, and they're going to have their fr- their their spring game will be six o'clock there at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Also in the ACC this weekend, a spring game for Mac Brown and the North Carolina Tar Heels that'll be on the ACC network. And the Pitt Panthers, they're Yankees, but they've got their spring game here coming up this weekend. And then when you look at the SEC, of course, we said Tennessee would have their spring game this weekend. Also, the Mississippi Land Sharks with their spring game. Lane Kiffin will have that at five o'clock, four o'clock Oxford time here this weekend and it looks like that might be it looks like most of the SEC teams went last weekend you had both Alabama and Auburn with their A-Day games isn't that crazy their spring game both is for both schools Alabama and Auburn is called A-Day as bitter rivals as they are unbelievable they got the same nickname the Gamecocks of South Carolina they've got a new coach there in Shane Beamer they've got a spring game also this weekend South Carolina Texas A&M and the Vols join Ole Miss this weekend for spring games in the SEC. So busy spring football in terms of that uh, traditional way of thinking of what spring football is all about here At, this weekend.
3: Yeah, Absent from that list, noticeably absent from that list, John, is the University of Florida. They have decided not to have a spring football game this year quite unusual
0: it looks like kentucky's not having one either
3: you know I, I, i'm not sure I'm, I, I'm not ready to come out and say that a spring football game soon is going to be a thing of the past but it certainly is a trend we have more teams around the country uh, who don't see the spring football game as the fantastic recruiting tool that they used to use it as as you say florida not having a game this year kentucky we had illinois for instance having their spring game the other night on a Monday night. Really? Uh, so everybody's looking for some different ways to get exposure. I think Monday night maybe get a, gets a few more eyeballs on the television, but certainly it wouldn't put as many fannies in the stands because people would have trouble traveling to a Monday night spring game and then getting back for work on Tuesday. But I just have a feeling, John, that maybe 10, 12 years down the road uh, with the advent of newer and newer technology, the ability to connect with people without having them necessarily on campus all the time, I think the coaches would rather just have another practice day rather than have an exhibition day to put on a spring football game. Because they are limited in the number of practices they can have in the spring Mm-hmm. and uh, one of those practice times is taken up to put on the spring game i really believe a lot of coaches would just as soon have a regular practice work on things that need to be worked on and um, and go from there
0: art crews admitting here on the y'all show that he actually watched a big 10 team spring football game that's big news now i will give you some credit the Illinois Fighting Illini I have a coach with an SEC connection now as former Arkansas coach Brett Bolima is leading that program there in Champaign-Urbana. Did you see him on the sideline? What's, what was that like?
3: Well, you you can't mess Big Brett on the sidelines. I think that's going to be a really a good fit for him. Uh, the game has changed quite a bit in the past oh, 10 years or so, and especially the last five primarily because of new rule changes. It puts a premium on scoring. You just don't Run the ball and play defense like you used to, uh, in the Big Ten and even in, uh, in the South with ACC and SEC teams. Now you've got to be able to throw the ball because the rules allow so much more freedom for the quarterback and the wide receivers. But Brett Bielema is still one of those guys that plays three yards in a cloud of dust. And, uh, quite frankly, the Big Ten plays that way probably more than any other conference in the country. So Brett Bielema at Illinois, probably a good fit.
0: Were you surprised that he couldn't find the success that he had up at Wisconsin leading the Hogs?
3: You know, I really wasn't. And the, re- the reason I wasn't is I don't really think he ever fit at Arkansas. I'm not saying it's Arkansas fans' fault. I'm not saying it's his fault, but sometimes there's a fit, and sometimes there's not. It's it's almost like two people getting married. They can be really good friends, have a lot of interests that align, but sometimes it just that relationship just doesn't click. And I never did get the feeling that that relationship clicked. He wasn't able to recruit the kind of athlete he needed to recruit at Arkansas, and of course Arkansas still to me is one of those teams with one foot in the SEC and one foot uh, in, in the Tex- Southwest
0: Conference. Yeah, <laughs> if, you,
3: if you remember the old Southwest Conference, and I'm sure you do, John, Arkansas was the only team in the old Southwest Conference that wasn't a Texas-based team. Right. And they still recruit a lot of their players from Texas, from Oklahoma. And that's just not a big recruiting base for the Southeastern Southeastern Conference. So Arkansas, and I think Sam Pittman has done a marvelous job. Barry Odom has done a great job as defensive coordinator at Arkansas. I look for good things this year from Arkansas, but still, I think they're still straddling the fence a little bit. Are they still? Tune in to the Southwest Conference more than they are the SEC. And I think Missouri, quite frankly, is the same way with straddling the fence between the old Big 12 and, uh, and uh, the SEC.
0: Art, I'm going to relay what someone from Arkansas, a longtime Arkansas sports person, told me one time about the hogs. And I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant, but it could be offensive to some. He said that Arkansas is the Puerto Rico of the SEC. You
3: you don't have to explain that one to me, John. I'm not, I could take that three or four different ways and a couple of ways. Um,
0: It means they're in the SEC, but they're they're, uh, on an island and uh, they're Puerto Rico. You know, we don't really understand Puerto Rico. That's right. Is it a state? Is it a commonwealth? Is it a a territory? It's a territory and they're American citizens, but it's still confusing. And I think it's even confusing for Puerto Ricans because they can't vote in the presidential election. But if they move to one of the 50 states, they can vote. Isn't that crazy? I think
3: that's a great analogy for the status of Arkansas at <laughs> the SEC. I've, I've never heard that before, but now that you explain it, I think it that's a wonderful, wonderful
0: analogy. And Arkansas, I'm going to pick on Arkansas. Arkansas really should be a lot better than they are. And, and you know, they were the best SEC basketball team this year. They went yes. further than anybody else, so they're doing some good stuff there. But – the baseball team should have won a national championship two years ago, literally dropped a foul ball that could have given them mm-hmm. that. But their football team is what I'm really talking about. They have, they, they don't have the competition to, that the Mississippi schools have where they have to fight each other. Right. Okay. They may not be as big and powerful as LSU or an Alabama, but they should at least every 10 years have a, a team that really has a chance to win an SEC. And they've, they've really struggled. And, and I don't understand it. And, and see, they think of themselves, what little I know about Arkansas. You compare them, I guess, more to the Mississippi's and Mississippi states of the world. They think they're better than those two schools. And they really ought to be, but they're not. Well, they're stuck, I think, in the Frank
3: Broyles era when yeah. Arkansas was a great football team. Uh, Arkansas, as you say, is the only game in the state, so they don't have to recruit against other big-time college programs. But I think Arkansas's failure is that, quite frankly, their population. I don't think they have a big recruiting base to draw from. There just aren't that many Arkansas kids. Plus, when you bring kids in from another state – You know, you take people to Neyland Stadium, and there's a hundred thousand plus people there. You take people to a kid to Bryant Denny Stadium, same thing. Auburn, same thing. Florida, but when you take a kid from another state who's really not familiar with Arkansas football, and you take them to War Memorial Stadium, whether you take them to Little Rock or whether you take them to Fayetteville. It's just not the same game day experience that you get at a lot of other SEC schools. So I think our recruiting is going to be tough for Arkansas now and in the future. I agree with you. Um, there is a rabid fan following. They have plenty of money with Walmart and Tyson Chicken. So that's not a problem. Once every 10 years or so, I would expect Arkansas to challenge for an SEC title. But you're correct, John. In the past decade, they haven't come close.
0: Well, they had the one Sugar Bowl year with Petrino, to their credit. Houston Nutt, who they ran out of town up there, is the guy that helped lead them to a couple of SEC West co-titles or however you want to label that. They still haven't got over what was his name, Sterner?
3: Clint Sterner.
0: Yeah, uh, tripping up in that Tennessee game. That, That should have cost Tennessee the 1998 National Championship, right? That game?
3: I went to every game that year. And uh in the fourth quarter, I had been sitting in the rain the entire game, and I was watching Tennessee's national championship <laughs> fortunes go right down the drain. There is no way Tennessee should have won that football game absent Clint Sterner's stumble and fumble. I got up before that play occurred, ready to leave the stadium because I thought, Well, this is my one chance to have seen my alma mater win a national championship, and they've blown it.
0: To Arkansas. To
3: Arkansas. Now, Arkansas was undefeated at the time, and they had an excellent football team, but they weren't as good as Tennessee. I got up to leave which would have meant I would have missed the Clint Sterner fumble and I would have missed Tennessee winning the football game. But my wife, God bless her, looked up at me and said, I've been sitting in the rain for three hours. You sit down. We'll sit here until it's over. And as a result of her, I was able to watch that game end. Sterner stumbling over his own left guard's feet – Falling to the ground, fumbling, leading to a Tennessee victory.
0: Have you ever publicly thanked your wife for that? I
3: I have over and over and over. I'm just giving you your chance. Once again today, I'm
0: doing it. Thank you, dear. (laughs) You changed his life right there. We got more with Art Cruz coming up after this. You don't want to miss it. We'll be talking about stumbling and fumbling and more. We're going to be talking a little PGA Tour golf with Art. All that is coming up after the break here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent Final Hour. never been found to this day but it went straight down the middle
1: like they say
0: thank you mr bing this is the y'all show and we're just off the 18th hole here on our coverage of everything southern joined by art Cruz, and we got some golf to talk about hope y'all don't mind love us some golf especially this time of year and the big boys are going to be in New Orleans for the Zurich Class. And this is a tournament that's kind of changed the way they did it over the last couple of years. It's a so. New format. It is. What is the format this year, Ark? Well, it's a team
3: format, John. And as you say, we love our golf. And that's one of the many reasons that we enjoy living in the South because our golf season stretches almost year round. But specifically with reference to the Zurich Classic, it's not just a regular stroke play tournament. It is a team tournament. The way they, f- they picked the field for New Orleans is they took the top 80 or so players who were eligible and who had qualified and signed up to play for the tournament, and those 80 players picked a partner. So it's a two-man partnership. Two of the days, they play what's called foursomes. And two of the days, they play what's called four ball. Now, you may say, I've heard of foursomes. I've heard of four ball before. Hey,
0: I don't want to know what you do after hours, okay?
3: (laughs) It's nothing against the law, either in Tennessee or New Orleans. But uh, the Ryder Cup plays this kind of format. You play foursomes, you play four ball, and people have have trouble remembering what it is what those are, and I've got an easy way for people to keep it straight. If you're playing four ball, then your team of two is against another team of two, and each of you are playing your own golf ball. And John, if you and I are partners on a team, and you par a hole, and I birdie the hole, then we record my birdie. Cause you're playing your own ball. I'm playing my own ball.
0: Don't they call that better ball? Well,
3: it can be called that. Yeah. But the, but using the King's English and harkening back to the origins of golf in Scotland, uh, it's called four ball. Now, foursomes. What is that? Again, that is two teams playing against another two person team, but you don't hit your own ball all the time. In that situation, John, you would tee off, I would hit the second shot, you would hit the third shot, and we alternate hitting shots until we hole out. And the way I like to keep that straight is in foursomes, you only hit the ball some of the time. Because, as you see, in foursomes, you may tee off, and then I would hit the second shot, you would hit the third shot, I'd hit the fourth shot. Alternating shot is another term for that. In four ball, there are four balls in play. Each each teammate uses his own golf ball. It's a really... Tough way to play, quite frankly, especially foursomes because if you tee off and you hit the ball in an area of the golf course that I'm not used to playing from uh, – It makes it difficult for me. And the way uh, you start off the round is you say, John, again, if you and I are on the same team, you will be teeing off on all the odd-numbered holes. I'll be teeing off on all the even-numbered holes, and then we alternate back and forth. So it's a team tournament uh, the first prize is about the same as it is on most PGA Tour events, about $1.2, $1.3 million. As I like to say, that's enough money that if you're walking down the street and see it on the sidewalk, it's it's enough to for the effort you'd make to bend over and pick it up. Hmm.
0: I like the way you put that. So Zurich Classic is this week. I'll be honest, the uh, first time this tournament caught my eye, was about four years ago, and a guy named Cameron Smith was in that one. Australia, and, and he he caught my because he looked like a sixteen year old guy out mm-hmm. there. He didn't have the long hair he's got now, and he won that tournament in a playoff. Uh, there, the, because of the w- rules of that particular tournament, you if you end up in a tie at the end of the fourth round, you have to play a whole new round on the Monday, and he played in a tournament against Kisner, and I think Kisner's teammate was his fellow South Carolinian Tommy Two Gloves Ganey was the, the pairing there and, right. the, and, and 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 Cameron Smith won that one and now he's a guy that's been very good in the last couple of years. He was one of the I think top five players in the Masters this year. He played in Harbor Town this past weekend. But this is the only tournament on the PGA schedule that it features this kind of team play, right? That's correct. Okay. Now, Cam Smith set a record, not in this
3: year's Masters, but in the November Masters in 2020. He was the first golfer to ever shoot in the 60s for all four rounds and not win the Masters Golf Tournament. Uh, it was, of course, Dustin Johnson's. But Cameron Smith, you can know him today, John. You mentioned his long hair. Now... Now not well,
0: quite as long as Tommy Fleetwood out of England though. No to but, his credit.
3: but Cameron Smith has a glorious mullet right now. <laughs> if, <you'll, laughs> yeah. if you can see him if when he takes his cap off maybe to brush the hair brush his hair back he's got a mullet you talk about if you look at his mullet, you'll know why they call a mullet business in front, party in back, and he's got a little mustache growing there. And he really can't quite grow a mustache, but he is the poster child. If they ever were to make a movie called Joe Dirt Two, the sequel, he would be the star of it.
0: I didn't know until watching this weekend when he was playing there at Hilton Head Island. He his home is Jacksonville, Florida. So it looks like he's kind of. Adapted his look to the natives there of the Georgia Florida line area, and and <laughs> I don't think that's a compliment, John. No, it's not a compliment, but it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, it is that mullet look there that Cameron Smith enjoys. But yeah, he he actually did some fishing. He's a big fisherman. I don't know if you saw that on CBS. I did not. He no. caught a whopper of a fish there while he was fishing at uh, Hilton Head Island. In fact, he got in trouble with the security there at Harbortown because he was fishing in an area that he really shouldn't have been fishing in and I guess his uh, throwing out that he is a PGA Tour golfer didn't help. Didn't, he didn't get in any kind of legal problems, right, but right. They, 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 he likes to fish, evidently.
3: Well, he's got a solid game. As I said, you don't shoot in the 60s all four days at Augusta without game, but uh, this has been, in my mind, his best year so far on the tour. In the past six months, At the end of last year's tour and beginning of this year's tour, he's really hit the ball well. And when the President's Cup is played between the United States and a team made up of the rest of the world's golfers outside of Europe, of course, it's United States versus Europe in the Ryder Cup. In the President's Cup, it's the United States against all the golfers in the world other than Europe. Cam Smith will be a a force to be reckoned with as As I said, he's from Australia and one of the top players in the world right now.
0: Yes, he is. All right. That is the Zurich Classic in New Orleans here this weekend. Now, the PGA Tour also in the news because they've started something called a bonus program that will pay players based on impact metrics rather than performance. (laughs) What in the heck are they talking about?
3: I don't know, but I wish I could get a part of this. Um, My – The scores I would record if I played on the tour certainly wouldn't get me into the, get me past the cut and I couldn't cash in, but $40 million has been set aside by the PGA tour to pay to players who they call players that quote, move the needle, close quote. And John, I looked at what qualifies a person to share in this bonus pool and the first first prize in this is $8 million. Now, the only the only thing you've got to do to qualify for this bonus pool that is related in any way to your performance on the golf course is the PGA Tour takes into account what your position is on the FedEx Cup points list at the end of the year. So, that's one consideration. How you do playing golf, but the rest of the qualifications, the rest of the ways that the tour decides whether you're going to share in this bonus pool have nothing to do with your performance. For instance, another thing that the tour looks at is the golfer's popularity on a Google search. Come on. Yes. I kid you not. I would employ. Can you imagine for $8 million how many people you could employ to sit at their laptops, to sit with their phones, and just type your name in to do a Google search? I mean, I would pay somebody up. Heck, I would take a million dollars and spread it out among my closest friends and have them just search Art Crews all day long. But that is one consideration that the tour uses. Another consideration is the golfer's Nielsen brand exposure rating, which places a value on the exposure a player delivers to sponsors through the minutes they are featured on broadcasts. So if you're interviewed... After a tournament, if you make yourself available before a tournament, if your agent is good at getting you in front of the cameras, and while you're there, you have your cap on that says Titleist, or you have your shirt on that that endorses a golf club or a golf ball, that helps you qualify for that bonus money. Here's another one, John, and I'm not sure exactly what this – I've never heard of this before, but the tour takes into account the golfer's Q rating. Now, as far as I can tell, the Q rating is something that measures the familiarity and appeal of a player's brand. Now, that sounds very subjective to me. I mean, what is the appeal of the John Rawl brand or the Art Cruz brand? Pretty high. Oh, but it's so subjective. Another consideration is the player's MVP index rating, which calibrates the value of the engagement a player drives across social and digital channels. So if you're heavy into Instagram, if you're heavy into Twitter, if your name is mentioned more than your competitor's name on social media, you are driving ahead in terms of winning this $8 million first place prize money. And finally, the consideration taken into the to account by the PGA Tour is a golfer's meltwater mentions. What? A meltwater mention. Yes, what is correct. I had to look that up myself. A meltwater mention is the frequency which a player generates coverage across a range of media platforms. Now, Here we are, $40 million being awarded to these tour players based upon Meltwater mentions, MVP index, Q ratings, and Nielsen brand exposure ratings. I don't understand.
0: Well, when I first saw this, Art, and and you're smarter than me, I just felt like it was a way to give the rich even more money. They need to be doing the opposite. They need to be making some of these stars who are having a tough time. The Ricky Fowlers, for example, I don't know if he's going to be on this list or not, but Ricky doesn't win championships too often, and but he's still loved. He's got a big following. He's got a big following. Mm-hmm. He might be one of the recipients of this money, but I'm talking about some of these people who may not. uh There's a golfer who has a Tennessee connection, Harrison English. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harrison English. Harrison Harris English. Harrison English, and he – uh, has won the Memphis tournament, but he's he's been in the Masters. He was in the Masters this year, but he still isn't winning. He's he's almost there, but he's not quite there. And he may never get there because there's right. so many really, really good right. golfers out there. But you want to keep the Harris Englishes in golf. Of course you do. And, and not let them go bankrupt because they have to fly all over the world to go to these tournaments.
3: Well, that was my first impression too, John, that this was a way that – You could compensate players who maybe didn't cash in as heavily as other players, but who did other things for the tour, uh, by the way they conduct themselves on and off the course, by being good ambassadors for the tour, uh, by being good commercial spokesmen for the tour. I thought this was a fund that would compensate those guys and like you, uh, I was wrong mm. because, for instance, Bruce Kepka was interviewed about this new fund, and Bruce Kepka said, uh, excuse me, Brooks Kepka said, Tiger should be number one on that list and he should be number one on the list this year and next year and the next year. Brooks Kepka said, quote, he's the entire reason we're able to play for so much money, the entire reason this sport is as popular as it is, and the reason most of us are playing, and it's not even close, close quote. Now, I agree with Brooks Koepka. If Tiger Woods is in a golf tournament, then that golf tournament is going to draw eyeballs. And Tiger is more than anyone responsible for the resurgence in golf and the huge prize money that the PGA Tour offers. But if you're going to award people like Tiger Woods out of this fund, then the Harris Englishes that you mentioned, uh, I believe he went to Georgia Tech. No, he went to Georgia. Did he? Oh, that's right. He is a bulldog. How I knew dare it was, you accuse him of going to Georgia Tech? I knew it was one of those two schools. Uh, but in all seriousness, this is, this is, to me, takes it out of the realm of awarding that kind of money to people like Harris English who conducts himself well, who is a solid tour player but is never going to win the kind of money that more talented players are. So it remains to be seen whether this indeed does reward the players that this was intended to reward or whether it continues just to fill the pockets f- with money further of people like Tiger, uh, Brooks Kepka and the like.
0: Talking with Art Cruz here on the Y'all Show with John Rawl, and we're wrapping up this third hour of the program, and I'm looking at the calendar. Today is April 21st. That means we're eight days away, if I'm correct on this, from the NFL draft. Oh, my goodness.
3: It's about that time. Isn't it amazing the way the NFL remains relevant year-round? I mean, there's baseball season, and there's basketball season, and there's hockey season, but... NFL football season remains relevant the year-round. Here we've had the Super Bowl played in February, and we're at the end of April, beginning of May, and the NFL is going to be the headliner in the sports world because they market the shield so darn well. Yes, they do, and
0: they did a great job last year, amazing job getting through the NFL draft virtually, and the season as well. I thought uh, Roger Goodell really earned his paycheck last year. I'm not sure he earns quite as much as he gets in normal years. He's the highest-paid professional sports commissioner as far as I could tell. But that's coming up soon, NFL draft next week. Hey, what should the Tennessee Titans do? Um.
3: Wow. I believe the Tennessee Titans. Titans should find a way to cheat and get extra first-round picks because I believe they have more holes in the dike than they have fingers to stick in the dike and plug the leaks. Uh, You might say that they need to go cornerback and defensive back because, uh, John, three of the four starters that they had last year are now gone. Adoree Jackson, former number one draft choice, is gone. On the other hand, you might say, and they need to bolster the offensive line. Isaiah Wilson, who was their number one draft choice from Harris English's alma mater, the Georgia Bulldogs, did not work out, and they still have a hole at right tackle. But, but frankly, I believe that the Titans need to go wide receiver first. Uh, the only person they have coming back from last year's team uh, that played wide receiver is AJ Brown from Ole
0: Miss uh, and Starkville High. And Starkville High. Now, go Yellow you, you
3: cannot, cannot build a passing game uh, based upon only one threat on the edge of the formation. Of course, the Titans build their offense around Derrick Henry but teams are going to load the box and stop Derrick Henry unless you have a downfield threat in the passing game. Corey Davis, last year's uh, wide receiver, complimenting A.J. Brown, is now gone. Uh, John U Smith, tight end, one of the top tight ends in the league, has left free agency. So A.J. Brown simply does not have a running mate out there at wide receiver, and I really hope that the Titans go wide receiver, and they'll have a chance, quite frankly, John, to, to draft another Ole Miss wide receiver. I believe Elijah Moore, 5'10, 178 pounds out of Ole Miss, may very well be the way to go for the Titans. That would give them, of course, two wide receivers from Ole Miss in their starting lineup. If they don't draft, if they don't draft Elijah Moore, then I certainly hope they'll they'll still go wide receiver, and maybe Rashad Bateman from the University of Minnesota will be the pick. But again, my overall assessment is they need help in more places than they've got draft picks. What pick are they? Uh, I believe they're 22nd. So pretty the, far down. Pretty far down. Uh But it's a a deep, wide receiver draft this year. So I believe they ought to be able to get somebody
0: who will be able to come in and help them right away. One pick that isn't talked a lot about right now, when we talk about teams in the South and the National Football League, the Atlanta Falcons have a top five pick in this year's NFL draft. They do. Where would you say that the new coach there, Coach Smith, the former Titans offensive coordinator, where is he going to go whenever he – makes a decision on his draft pick? Well, I think the first thing you look with Arthur Smith, who, as you mentioned, is the
3: Falcons' new head coach this year, former offensive coordinator for the Titans, is do they need to replace Matt Ryan at quarterback? Matt Ryan is 38 years old, uh, but he still plays at a high level, John. One of these days, they're going to have to replace and room a quarterback Uh but I don't think this year will be the year. I think Arthur Smith will roll with Matt Ryan for a couple of more years. It will surprise me if the Falcons go quarterback. Uh, trivia question for for you though, John. Arthur Smith. Do you know anything about his family background?
0: Yes, I do. All He's got right. a younger brother named Cannon,
3: and you, and you certainly must know who <laughs> Arthur Smith's
0: father is. Well, I can't prove it, but supposedly his father is Fred Smith, but I, I don't have the genetics to prove. I
3: don't have it to prove, but it just—it's unusual to me. Oh,
0: who's Fred Smith, by the way? Oh, Fred Smith is the
3: founder and CEO of FedEx and an actor.
0: Uh, an actor? Yeah, he was in that Tom Cruise movie where uh, they crashed the plane. Where the I plane? Was what was it called? I was one the-, the, the Wilson. Oh, the, the Tom Hanks movie. Did I say Tom Cruise? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks movie. That's correct. And Fred did, Smith makes an appearance an act- in there after they find him. How, how so- I'm an idiot, folks. So- I forgot the name of the movie real quick.
3: It's, oh um, uh, gosh, John, don't do this to me. i tell you who
0: else makes an appearance in that movie that being a country music guy, yeah. a lot of people didn't realize she was actually a country music singer, and sadly, she died about two years ago. Laurie White is the lady that, the um, that Tom Hanks goes and finds after he's hit her uh, butterfly-looking art deal, right? That right, inspired yeah. him. He went and found her at the end of the movie, and well, she was a country music singer. Well, we need to get our
3: crack dot com research team looking right now while we're on the air because neither you nor I can bring to mind the name of that movie with
0: castaway castaway and i Thank didn't cheat you. i just just I, you 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 got me all scared up here so i forgot but yeah that great movie if you haven't seen it and i'm sure most people have because it's one of those movies now it's been out 20 sadly yeah, it's been yeah, out 20 years exactly
3: what well, you know it's just unusual to me maybe it's not unusual to our listeners but it's just unusual to me that you have a family like fred smith who is the Founder of FedEx, uh, and has a son who is a football coach in the National Football League. Now, that may not seem unusual to to others, but it does to me. It just it seems as though Arthur Smith has just blazed his own path, decided not to go into business like his father did, and and go to the other end of the spectrum and be a football coach. But I expect good things from Arthur Smith. I, I think it's really a blow to the Titans. That he is no longer going to be their offensive coordinator. I think he did a great job with Derrick Henry emphasizing the running game, but sprinkling in just enough passing game to take the pressure off Derrick Henry. A lot of people say, well, I could be the offensive coordinator on a team that has Derrick Henry. Well, I disagree with you, my friend. If you're one of those people that says, "Yeah, that. I think
0: I said that." Uh,
3: well, I disagree with you, my friend. <laughs> it's there's more involved
0: right. than that. We're cutting you off now. We got to go to a break. We've been talking a lot of sports. We got to take a break. Quick look at some headlines, and then we will be signing off in just a few on y'all talk with a southern accent. We told you to get some Allman Brothers, Georgia-based music on here on the Y'all Show as we wind down this third hour of Talk with a Southern Accent John Raw with Art Cruz. Art Cruz, before morphing into radio broadcasting legend, spent many, many decades in the field of law as an attorney, and big national story from Tuesday, the Derek Chauvin trial with three guilty verdicts there in that one the Monday morning quarterback, if you will, on a Wednesday. Art, what what would you think about the defense team's effort in that Chauvin case? Well, they didn't have a lot to work with, John. I
3: mean, that video of over nine minutes minutes sort of spoke for itself. Um, Anybody who watched that video had to be repulsed by what they saw, and I think that in the end, a guilty verdict was what was expected and probably what was justified. Uh, the problem I have with it is, has nothing to do with the defense team or the prosecution. It's the politicians who pile on and take advantage of a case like this in a further effort to not only divide us as citizens, but to further their own. Quest for power. And I'm talking about people like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and folks like that who basically trampled on George Floyd's grave in order to secure even more power from us. I just believe, George, uh, John, excuse me, that uh, with this George Floyd trial, we see once again, even clearer, that if you get black people and you get white people in a room together, 99% of the black people are going to like the white people and 99% of the white people are going to like all the other black people in the room. But once you let the politicians into the room and start staking out their boundaries and dividing us along political identities and racial lines, it causes a lot of the problems that we're having in our country today. And I think this is an example that the politicians would just stay out of the way that our justice system does work
0: well one positive if there is a positive that has come out of this case is i think to at least my knowledge there was not mass protest and buildings being burnt down across the nation last night of course that could have happened if the decision was opposite of what we saw but the george floyd case now the appeals likely to happen there and uh, we'll we'll just carry on as a country. That's what the world's about. That's what this country was founded on, as the rule of law. And and you just uh, accept the case, and if you don't like it, you you appeal. And that's where we have the George Floyd case now. And as far as I know, from a sports standpoint, they threatened to cancel a bunch of stuff. Uh, are we on tap for all sports, as far as you know? As far
3: as I know, everything is is a go. Uh, one thing I will mention is that I happened to have my television tuned on Sports Center last night, immediately after the George Floyd verdict came down, and it was the lead story on Sports Center. Yeah. And uh, of course, that's another topic that I could speak for about an hour on, but I will just say this: that there is no reason for that story to be the lead story. In a, on a sports programming network, it shows, uh, that the, that the adjunct of sports and politics has become too closely aligned. Uh, and, uh, I wish we could go back to separating our sports and our politics. I think everyone would be happier.
0: A lot of us would certainly be that art crews. We are closing out this hour of the y'all show. We want to thank everybody for being on here, having, a chance to catch up with what's going on across the Southland on this show that there's nothing else out there like it. We we mix in the news and the sports and the food and the business news and so much more giving you a chance to catch up with your neighbors here. And we'll have another great y'all show headed your way on Thursday. We'll have our country music report courtesy of Precious Harris And we'll have our SEC report. If you want to know what's going on in the Southeastern Conference, well, we had our ACC report on this, the Wednesday Y'all Show. SEC fans will be scrolling through the headlines of the SEC to get you all the news on SEC baseball, also SEC football with spring games and more heading your way this weekend. On that front, all that on the Thursday Y'all Show. And also just can't wait to catch up with Precious Harris once again and find out what's going on in nashville music city they just had the acm awards in fact some numbers came out and the ratings for that were way down i want to ask precious about that what was going on there because as as i've said before clay travis says once you go woke you go broken they were pretty woke in my opinion on sunday on cbs with the acm awards an award show often held in las vegas this year it was moved to nashville so we'll find out What's going on with that? Art Cruz, what you got going on for the uh, rest of this Wednesday?
3: John, I haven't played golf since yesterday. I'm not going to play again until this afternoon.
0: Oh, okay. Well, at least he's being honest. He's being honest with you. We like a man that plays golf here on the Y'all Show. Well, we appreciate all y'all for coming on and being with us on this fun ride. And we'll be, as we said, back here in the host chair to talk about dixie on thursday have a great rest of your day you've been listening to y'all a production of crn sports and y'all.com